Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 2020 seniors, your friends at Lance Roofing and Siding in Fairborn want you to know how proud we are of you. We celebrate you, the class of 2020. We know you will go out into the world and do incredible things. Here's to you. Best of luck, seniors, from Lance Roofing and Siding. Vincent Skinner Show, right here on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. So earlier today on Twitter, I come across a tweet from John Rothstein that really stood out to me. And we welcome you back, by the way, Justin Kinner with you here. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. Uh, John Rothstein uh, tweets out college basketball conversation here. says that local games are going to be a regular occurrence moving forward in college basketball due to budgetary issues. Uh, he, he ends the tweet with a word to all, embrace your local rivalries and opponents. Now, this, I mean, common sense tells you that this is an issue that's going to impact Every program from the smallest of mid-majors to the strongest of high-majors. This is going to be an issue for all programs moving forward, especially if we get to the non-conference and some of these programs will be impacted by lack of funding coming in from the football side of things on everything that you've lost during this, you know, the spring and the summer. Also planning ahead. That, you know, for all the money that they are losing in the fall, that may not be direct money that is impacting the program at that second, but they're planning ahead for what athletics budget to use for, fu- you know, to kind of make up the losses for future tents. Now, with that being said, no fans at games. I mean, look, there's been no word about basketball. There's so much focus on whether or not there's going to be college football. But right. let's be honest, uh, I, I think it's very doubtful with all the talk of non-con, you know, UD putting out their you know, home and away schedule that they had with the the American Conference SMU. They have that home and away with very good back and forth home and home series. I like that. Um, you know, the the um, obviously the neutral site games that they have and the in the tournaments that they're in. Great non conference start already for the Flyers. Uh, I just don't think that those games are going to happen, at least in 2020. I think if you see if college football is going to be bouncing all over the place, I think that's going to be the primary focus of these athletics departments while trying to keep an eye on what to do with basketball. I think it's easier for a program like UD and even a right state who don't have football that their primary focus will be on their basketball programs, but that's not going to be the case around the country. So with limited budgets or budgetary issues, it's going to make a lot of sense for these schools to be not be traveling all around the country playing these games. You know, and we are very fortunate here. I tweeted this out earlier today. I said, look, we are very fortunate here in Dayton to have so many quality basketball programs from mid-majors all the way up to the high majors, from, you know, Horizon League schools all the way up, you know, to the Big Ten. They're all, you know what I mean, they're, they're all over the place. You don't have to look far to find good quality basketball programs. It's not like you're forcing in a bunch of bad teams on your schedule just because they're 10 minutes down the road or an hour down the road. You can have your non. If you just schedule local, honestly, your non-conference schedule is one of the tops in the country. If you just schedule some of all the local teams here, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about just here in Dayton. I'm talking about over in Cincinnati. I'm talking about in Columbus. There's, you know what I mean. There's good programs. Hell, Kentucky's not even that far away. I mean, True. how far out is a radius are we talking here? AKU. You know, Northern Kentucky, another Horizon Lake program there as well. Now, I was joking with you during the break, and this is what I was going to allude to. If I'm the Dayton Flyers and, and UD so sick of hearing all the right state talk, you know what I do? 
I schedule Wright State this year. I put them on the schedule. In fact, I, I, go, I even put it out there. We're willing to play at the Nutter Center. You don't have to worry about putting your fans in their stands now at this point, so let's just be clear. You know there'll be no fans at games anyways. <laughs> That's the first point. The second point of why UD should agree to play Wright State at Wright State this year is, well, while you do is say, hey, it's going to be a one-year deal. When the non-con is wiped out, which I believe that it will, all UD has to say is, eh, we tried. <laughs> we tried. Hey, look, we were going to play Wright State at Wright State. We were willing to do it, but, uh, I mean, man... Damn coronavirus. Corona strikes <laughs> again. Uh, well, we'll revisit this uh, in the near future, but for right now, we're just going to table that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm joking, but at the same time, if there was ever an excuse for why some of the egos should be put aside to make some of these matchups happen, and this isn't even squarely about Wright State and UD, uh, this is about... You know, the egos of the athletics departments for Xavier in Cincinnati, and even that with Ohio State. Uh, I give Chris Holtman and company credit for their ability to be able to put their egos aside and say, hey, look, this benefits our program by playing these interstate schools as opposed to avoiding them due to, you know, the recruiting trail battles and everything else that they face and run into these other programs with. I'm in big favor of it. Chris Holtman, I mean, the fact that Chris Holtman in Ohio State is willing to have these conversations. That really puts the pressure on programs like Xavier, UD, yeah. Cincinnati to have that same mindset. If Ohio State can say, we will play Cincinnati at Cincinnati, and if, if Chris Holtman, who, who came on our show just last week and said, no, we're definitely up to playing Dayton if, if it's, we have to find a situation that fits both of us. If Chris Holtman can say that about Dayton, then... Dayton can say that about Wright State. They could say that, you know, Cincinnati could say that about, uh, about UD. You know what I mean? Xavier, yeah. the same thing. Egos have to be put aside. This makes a ton of sense. And you're very fortunate that the local teams that you're stuck with and playing, if this is the case, you're lucky that they're top quality programs that are going to help you build a non-conference resume that is worthy of giving you an at-large bid. That's all. This isn't just about, this conversation really is not just squarely about UD Wright State, but if there was ever a time to justify that matchup happening, that this would be it. Mm -hmm. uh, it would also be a way for, you know, to justify Ohio State, putting their ego aside. Hey, why are you going to play at UCLA? Why are you going all over the place when you could just go play a top-quality team that was number three in the country the year before an hour down the road? So it's, I'm not picking on UD. It's really pointing the finger at all the programs who always come up with an excuse. Chris Holtman, I didn't say this to him that day, but when he said, look, schedules are done so far out in advance, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> it, like, you know what I mean? I get that they're done so, they are done so far out in advance. But you're right. Now there's going to be a lot of changes that are going to need immediate attention yeah. right away. So there's that reasoning. And two, when programs and coaches and athletics departments really want something, it gets done. Yeah. So I, I, I know what he's saying, that yes, a lot of schedules are made years in advance, and fans, especially UD fans, like to kind of wave that flag too, but trust me, if they want to make something happen, it'll happen. You mean to tell me that if Kentucky called uh, Sullivan at UD and said, hey, we want to come play at UD Arena, you think Sullivan's going to look back at Kentucky and say, well, you know, if you would have only called three years earlier, we could have got this done this year. No, they're going to make it happen. That's why I get so sick when coaches say, oh, you know, it's difficult. Your coach schedules are made years in advance. Stop it. That's dumb, and you know it. If you want it to happen, you'll make it happen, and, and that's my point as far as that's concerned. Same thing with Ohio State. I get what I appreciate and respected the fact that Chris Holtman was so open with me a few weeks ago on the show about that, but I really wanted to respond with, yeah, but if you really wanted to make it happen, it would happen. Like, 
like I, I he just, the Ohio State just released. In fact, after he was on the show, the very next day they released their non-con. Still a lot of holes in that non-con that they haven't been able to fill or finalize yet. Coming down to the Nutter Center, right? You mean, to, and let's be clear here, I'm pretty sure that if Ohio State called UD, I would hope that UD's ego is not to the level that they wouldn't just accept a one-off to go play at Ohio State. Let's be clear. I would hope that they're not that egotistical to think that they only can do a home-and-home with an Ohio State. Like, if Ohio State welcomes you to go play there, if you're UD and you want to prove that you are the college basketball program of the state of Ohio, you go beat Ohio State at Ohio State, and then you can wave that flag all you want. Yeah, That's I always all. thought it was funny how uh, in college football, especially here in the Midwest with your Ohio State, your Michigans, and stuff like that, they always say when they play their Western Michigans, Eastern Michigans, their Miami of Ohio's, your Mac schools, mm-hmm. they always say, well, we want to keep this revenue in the state. We want to make sure the state schools are taken care of. But when it comes to basketball, it's like almost a totally different vibe. It's like, oh, well, you know, hey, we, we got to make sure our schedule, strength of schedule is okay. But it was okay for football, though, because you guys are making sure that these other teams are, quote-unquote, taken care of. To be fair... Like, this is why I really respected the fact that, like, Cincinnati's not a no-scrub program. Right. Ohio State went to Cincinnati to play. They could have easily lost. Okay, There's, like, you know what I mean? Like, Cincinnati beating Ohio State, is, it's not, it wouldn't be that surprising as far as basketball's concerned. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, that's why I really respected what Chris Holtman did there. But let's be honest, the reason football does it, the reason Ohio State, that's why I always laugh at them, too, because I think it's a little bit of hypocrisy there. It's easy to pump your chest and say, we're not afraid to play the teams in Ohio. Well, the second best team in Ohio is Cincinnati. You beat them by, what, 50? Is 50-something to nothing? Yeah, it was a goose egg. And I'm not saying that they would win 50-something to nothing every game, but I would say seven of the ten games they win 50-something to nothing. And those, Well, nothing is – it's hard to shut teams out. It's, I mean, look, Miami of Ohio. You couldn't shut Miami of Ohio out. It's, you don't shut teams out. My point is, you would, Ohio State most likely on, in the 10-year period, 42, in a 10-year window, if Ohio State plays Cincinnati, and I don't care how competitive they are with Luke Fickle as the head coach, Ohio State – Blowing them out by at least 30-plus points, nine of the ten games, in my opinion. Probably. And then winning by a mere two touchdowns in that tenth one. So, you know, (laughs) I'm just saying, it's easy for Ohio State to pump their chest out and say, oh, we'll play interstate schools, we'll play Miami of Ohio and Bowling Green. Who's the next best Ohio team that's going to even challenge them? In basketball, it's tough. Cincinnati... You're, Ohio State's not better, not significantly better than UD or any team in the, in the mm. state of Ohio. So that's why they're a little bit more hesitant to do it. Football, it's easy. When you're the Ohio State University in football, you know, you act like you're doing a favor for your state when you're playing the Bowling Greens or whatnot. But I promise you, if there was another like program, a similar program that recruited at the same level as Ohio State in this state, they wouldn't go anywhere near those programs. That's no. all I have to say about that. So, all right, the Justin Kinner Show here on 1410 ESPN Radio, 457-9464. I'm curious to hear from UD fans. This is not a UD right state conversation piece, I promise you. I'm not trying to, to get that, you know, conversation going for say. However, that matchup is a realistic possibility, and I don't know the financial situation of the Flyers, uh, and I'm not going to pretend to. But when you start seeing these college basketball, these national college basketball analysts put out content like this, saying, "Hey, college basketball is going to experience a lot of budgetary issues that is going to restrict, you know, how far these programs go and travel. How do you justify, 
you know, going four or five states over to play a game when you have all of these quality programs within an hour radius of your school. Think of all the money that you could spend. And when you want to talk, and, the, not, and it's not just UD. It goes for Xavier, too. Right. It goes for Cincinnati. It goes for Ohio State. Stop traveling all over the place when you have quality teams that would enhance your you know, at-large resume easily if you're playing or either hosting Xavier, playing at Xavier, hosting Cincinnati, playing at Cincinnati. And now the same goes for UD. You have to do it. And unfortunately, Absolutely. as much as I wave the right state flag, they're going to be looked at like the, the Bowling Greens and the Cleveland States and the, the Akrons and the others where, okay, you'll play them, but it's not the premier matchup that you're expecting. UD right state would be a premier matchup in a different light, maybe within this city. Mm-hmm. I don't think people in Cincinnati or Columbus care about a right state UD no. matchup. That would just be something that some people in this city would like. But that's not a – it's not Cincinnati Xavier going head-to-head, just put it that way. I'm realistic of that. But still, something – so major locally we don't need to worry about the outside world we can worry about our little bubble here in Dayton Ohio and be perfectly content with that about two of our schools matching up on the basketball court and finally playing again like you can't tell me that wouldn't be epic and you know we talked about this before the whole pandemic and this was like when basketball season was going on um it's like man imagine if they were to play in the tournament because we always look, were looking at the projections of where the teams were going to be seated, and at one point they were seated to match up against each other. It could have easily happened this year. Could have very well. Actually, no, it couldn't have because Wright State lost. Yeah, exactly. So actually, there was zero percent <laughs> chance of it happening now. So my bad. But we were talking about how crazy it would have been down in the Oregon district when they played. Like we were talking about, like man, they would probably have to put up the TV screens like they did when Dave Chappelle came to town because it was going to be that packed. It was going to be that type of atmosphere if those two teams play especially in the NCAA tournament so it's got to be a win-win for everybody involved it's, it's a win-win definitely a win for Wright State definitely a win for the city and a win for UD because they don't have to travel all the way to wherever the heck they were going to be traveling to they might as well just go ahead and play man yeah, and again, I'm not starting this kind con- like if this if things were normal, if the, if the country was, you know, if there was no coronavirus and we're you know, we're well into baseball season, we're a month past the national championship game in college basketball and we're focusing on, you know, the off-season news and notes, post-NFL draft and getting, you know, talking Ohio State football. You have all those conversation pieces in a normal world right now, minus coronavirus, that's what we'd be focusing on. I'm bringing up this Wright State UD conversation because I think it's going to honestly become a realistic conversation that they have to at least consider having, mainly because of what we're seeing with everything going on. Budgetary issues for all college basketball programs out there. Now, to be fair, I'm saying that without knowing UD's budget. I'm not going to pretend to know it or lie and say that I do, but just assuming and we all know what happens when you assume but assuming that they would be impacted by this just like any other college basketball program i think it's safe to say that these are the things that they would have to talk about that would make sense uh, and I think it's going to be a bad look for them if they're going to well, be willing to play in northern Kentucky. Like You're not trying to put a schedule together that you just have a big-time opponent every single night. But, you know, they might look to put a northern Kentucky who's also just an hour down the road. You know what I mean? Like, they might look to do a Cleveland State again. They, you know, they played Detroit, to, you know, a few years ago that irritated a bunch of Wright State folks. So just keep in mind that that's a realistic conversation that's going to happen. But as I joked earlier... When UD people say we don't want to put fan, we don't want to put UD fans at the Nutter Center. Well, the good news is, is you probably won't have to worry about that because <laughs> if you do play at Wright State, no one's going to be able to show up anyway, so you're right. good to go. As far as that's concerned, more of the Justin Kinner Show when we come back. Cut to the Justin Kinner Show right here on ESPN Dayton, fourteen ten Wing AM.
right, we welcome you back. So, I have no problem in saying this. I'm a huge fan of Colin Coward. Don't really mind saying that. I, I hated whenever he left ESPN. I thought that was a huge... Uh, I think they impacted ESPN greatly. And I know a lot of people... It's, it's so funny. The, the two talents that... Actually, there's three talents that get hated on the most. Two of them, though, I believe are... Well, all three are extremely talented, regardless of what you think or your opinion of them. Uh, but you don't get this far in their careers without being really good at their job in some capacity. Uh, but two of them, I think, are just beyond good. Um, the, the three media guys that are the most hated, it seems, are Stephen A. Smith. When you, you know what I mean? Have you ever heard anyone say anything good about Stephen A. Smith? Except for me, because I'm a huge fan <laughs> of his, too. Here and there. Stephen A. Smith, Colin Cowherd, Skip Bayless. Yeah. I mean, you even mention any of their names, and what do people do right away? Oh, I can't stand him. I can't stand him. I can't scream at A. Smith. Colin Cowturd. Uh, you know, Skip Bayless. <laughs> all, all he does is hate on LeBron. Like, every time you say those three names, it is followed by some kind of hateful remark. But I got newsflash for people. When people say that they are bad at their job, they're not bad at their job. Like, they are not bad at their job. For one, Colin and Skip are the face of Fox Sports right now, and then Stephen A. Smith is the face of everything ESPN media related. I mean, they were pulling him in 85 different directions. There's a reason he's the highest paid employee at ESPN. I think, I mean, he's easily uh, the MVP of ESPN. He does everything. He carries so much weight. For those that say you can't stand him, it's amazing to me how many people say you can't stand him when the second that guy's face or voice pops up on anything ESPN related, it's the most clicked on, it's the most viewed, it's the most watched, it's the most listened to. That's the weight that Stephen A. carries. Yes, and sir. I've always respected that about him because regardless of your opinion, in the world of, well, facts, facts are, for, for you saying you hate it, it doesn't matter if you hate him or not because you still pay attention to him. Uh, so that's what always intrigues me about them. The Fox Sports thing. I really I respected what they did. I loved the fact that they plucked a lot of ESPN talent that was either let go or wasn't being utilized correctly. They presented a different package in front of them and were able to make a pretty strong network. I like that there's a secondary network that you can go to and get you know different sports content, uh, although I do believe it has watered down the ESPN product uh, in some areas. That does frustrate me there as far as that's concerned, but I like the, the product that Fox has. But I tweeted this out earlier. It drives me nuts. So I was watching, is it Undisputed, Skip and Shannon's show yes. in the morning? I, love, I mean, I like that show. It's, it's basically just uh, Fox had no issues saying, hey, we're going to take everything that ESPN does well, and we're going to replicate it over here. Right. And that's fine. People mock them for it, but while they're mocking them, they're watching it. You're paying attention to it. There you go. But here's the problem that I have with it. Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, I love the show, but Skip Bayless multiple times this morning um, – you heard him just continuously take shots at ESPN, or he would refer to them as his former employer. That irritates me. I don't know why. It's just a little thing, but it does irritate me. Colin Cowherd does the same thing. Oh, my former employer, or the place I used to work at that shall remain un, you know, unnamed or unmentioned, or however he does it. The mothership. The mothership. I'm like, would you guys stop with that? Because in the midst of doing that, they're also using all of their former employers' content. Like, I can't stand it. Colin's show opened up today with ESPN's Top 100 or Top 74 NBA All-Time Greats list. Why is a Fox Sports show using ESPN's Top 74 NBA All-Time Greats list? Why can't Fox Sports come out with the Fox Sports Top 74 NBA player list? What's keeping them from doing that? So that's why I like Stop taking shots at ESPN when you use all of their content. The Michael Jordan documentary. That's a little bit fair game because that's such a big deal that I believe that that would be talked about on the ESPN network if it was Fox's. I get that's fair game. But even during the NFL draft, I noticed a ton of... Oh, you know, Colin Cowherd, Skip Bayless, all those shows throughout the day on Fox would say, you know, Mel Kuyper says this about 
this prospect or here's Mel Kiper earlier this morning on my former employer on my former employer's network. Stop doing that. I, I think that the talent is way too good. At, and I can't believe I'm talking about like another network. But you know what I mean? Like I can't believe with the network that has as much talent as they do over there that they rely so heavily on Mel Kiper, Adam Schefter, and uh, Todd McShay. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard those voices and not really a set guest. They would just pull audio and, and share what they would say. I'm like, why can't Fox should get their own NFL draft analyst? Why don't they? They use Jay Glazer a lot. I don't really know what his set title is, though. I can't tell if he's just like an NBA or NFL analyst. Reporter. Reporter, what his role is. Insider, Uh, insider. Insider. Whatever that means, by the way. Whatever that means. Is that just a a guy, a person that he's an insider? He he has ins and, you know, he has. You know, connections with various teams and is on the end, I guess, with those. I guess insider is the proper word to use as far as that's concerned. Uh, But no, like, I don't really like to get into that back and forth stuff, but I just can't stand. You can't watch any of those shows on Fox without having to hear them refer to ESPN, mock them, take shots at them. But yet, that's all they do is use their content. Colin Cowherd, all he does is mock lists. He can't stand people that make lists. But yet, he opened up today with his former employer, as he called him. Their top 74 NBA. Fox Sports needs to put out their own list. Put out your own NBA list. Put out your own NFL list. Get your own draft analyst for the NBA and the NFL. I don't understand it. Um, you know, Chris Broussard, but when he was with ESPN, I loved it. I, I was hosting the Sunday morning show for years before getting the gig here uh, full-time during the week uh, when me and Schlemmer started doing the show. Chris Broussard was a regular on my Sunday morning show. And I, for one, I was thrilled. I, I mean, because, I mean, he was one of my favorite NBA analysts. I was really bummed when he left. In fact, one of the final engagements that he did while with ESPN was actually speaking here in Dayton at the Nutter Center for the tip-off banquet. That technically, though, wasn't really an, an uh, ESPN-sanctioned event. Uh, but I remember, you know, some guys at Wright State told me that they knew ahead of time because he had told them in the in the van ride over to the Nutter Center saying, yeah, that he's going to be announcing that he's leaving ESPN and going to Fox. But he was a hell of a talent. But they don't utilize him correctly because mm-hmm. he's not out, you know, covering you know, the NBA, he has a show that I really enjoy that he does as well, but at the same time, they're not taking advantage of what he does. Instead, they just keep using clips from ESPN. It's really irritating. I I wonder if Rob Parker and Chris Broussard do the My Former Employer thing on their show. Uh, What's their show called? Odd Couple, I believe. The Odd Couple, yes. I need to check that out to see if they do that, pay attention to see if they do that whole thing. Because Fox is good talent. Like, they got great talent. Great, especially great NBA talent. They have Nick Wright. They got Chris Broussard. I mean, those guys have been in the game for a long time, and they, like, quote-unquote, have the inside track. So I would love to hear their opinions about list as opposed to pulling up someone else's list. Did you take a look at the list? The top 74? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and actually, I'm not going to – we'll transition to that in a moment because I don't really want to get into the, the tired and boring MJ versus LeBron talk. I, I actually – it's easy for me to fall into the LeBron-MJ conversation because I feel so passionately about Le- LeBron and MJ at the same time. But, man, I really hope that we don't disrespect Michael Jordan 20, 30 years from now the way we disrespect Kareem. You don't like Kareem. Well, it's not that you don't like him, but you were very down on him in our conversations that we had. Was it yesterday? Mm-mm. Maybe it wasn't Carl you. Malone. Carl Malone, either way. But Kareem... <laughs> when, we, when we sit there and use MJ's numbers to trump everything that LeBron has done... You can trump everything that MJ has done with Kareem's numbers. We're going to get into that around the corner. I just can't believe like, I, the, when we look at that top ten list, and I'll reveal that. If you haven't seen it yet, we'll go through that list in a moment. But 
I want to talk about who is the most disrespected NBA all-time great that is either in the top ten, that has someone in front of them, or is not in the top ten. Uh, because I, I thought that that list was a little interesting. Now, those lists are done to get content, or to provide content, to provide conversation, and they got the conversation going. I put it out on the page earlier, and of course, right away, people started asking about Oscar Robertson. Where is he at, uh, as far as that's concerned, like in the 12? top ten? So just on the outside looking in. Tim Duncan, you're very high on Tim Duncan. But I'm not putting him above Shaq, and I'm not putting him in the top ten. Like, it's amazing. There were so many other players. It's them titles, though. You can't ignore the five championships. Five titles. Five championships. Two regular it. season MVPs. I get it. But defensive anchor and but, get buckets. But we can't sit there and use stats and those accomplishments to justify him in the top ten, but then ignore Kareem's and can't and, and put what him I have Kareem behind LeBron and MJ. Number three. That's not a bad place to be. It is when your numbers are ten times better than the two guys in front of you. There's nothing about it. And by the yeah, way, well, well, no, ten times better. He's he's what Kareem's like the third all-time leading scorer. He's the number one all-time leading scorer. Carl Malone is. He's number two. Carl Malone's two. I'm not sure about that. Carl Malone's two. LeBron's three. Or Kobe or LeBron's three, right? Uh, MJ's fifth. LeBron is three. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes, you're correct. Don't you're doubt, correct. kid man. Don't doubt the kid man. <laughs> I can't believe you're going to doubt the kid, man. You should always believe in everything I say. I'm always right. You should know that uh, by now as far as this concerned. But, no, I, I, I found that interesting. But, like, you, you start looking at it, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, six NBA championships, yes, just sir. like Michael. All right? If, if you want to talk college, which we're not, but, I mean, he had three, three compared to only one. Uh, but six NBA MVPs, Michael Jordan had five. All right? Uh, I mean, you all-star games, 19 NBA all-star games to 14. Yes, I know he played longer, but I'm also not going to give Michael a pass because he retired and played less games. Like, durability, that also speaks volumes about what Kareem uh, does. I mean, but more points. We're talking 6,000-plus more points. Uh, 55% as far as field goal percentage goes, which I would hope that as a post player, a dominant post player at that, that you would at least shoot higher than 50%, um, you know, as far as that's concerned. Uh, you know, I mean, really I think that plays Thousand plus I think that plays into the Michael Jordan thing a little bit because I mean, as a guard, he still shot fifty percent, forty nine percent. But you know, f- you know, forty nine point okay. seven. Wait, I ain't rounded up. <laughs> okay, Bottom did you way. say that in, in school? <laughs> I, didn't, I was in college for eight years. There's a reason. And I'm not a doctor, so I'm telling you right now. Because I'll run, I'll definitely round the Kareem's up to 56%. Fine. Let's see. 17,000 rebounds to only 6,000, but I'm going to round that up to 18,000 rebounds. To, uh, yeah. you know, to see. So, you know, he has more assists. Uh, no, actually, he has three less assists career-wise, which I found that that's an interesting number right there. Obviously, more blocks uh, and less steals. Bottom line is, is we can't sit here and act like, why are we going to use numbers to justify why Michael Jordan's better than LeBron, but we're going to ignore the fact that Kareem's numbers are better than MJ's and better than LeBron's, and we're going to put him at number three? The big man is always disrespected. The big man will always be And he's a Laker. I thought he would even, I thought he would even get a little bit more love because he's a Laker, but maybe that's why he's actually getting less love. You I know, I, does it, Can that play both ways? You're going to get extra love because you're a Laker, but sometimes you get less love because of that because I think it's easier to doubt his greatness because there were so many other dominant Lakers that it makes it, you know, when you're talking about comparing him to other past Laker greats or future Laker greats, whatever. I think it's, 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 it's a multiple things about Kareem. One, it's the big man thing. Like, people don't look at the big man as in embracing. That's why Allen Iverson was so loved because Allen Iverson was 6 feet, 160 pounds, playing Playing amongst giants. Yeah, but you know why he didn't win a title? 
Because he was six feet. Because he didn't have a big man. <laughs> he had he had Dikembe Mutombo. Yeah, number I think Dikembe was like seventy three on the list. I think he was seventy three. Yeah, right. <laughs> he was old. But I mean, like, like you look you look at you look at Wilt Chamberlain, a guy who scored a hundred points. Like people just yeah yeah okay. I think it's the big man thing with Kareem. I also think and uh, I know a lot of uh, older listeners can let us know, but Kareem. When he was uh, in his playing days, he was very political, you know, standing up for civil rights, uh, being a member of the Black Panthers, um, his religious beliefs, like those type of things and not, quote unquote, being open to the media and stuff like that. I think those things play a part in people embracing him later on and like all like how the Jordan fanatics like myself, like talk about Jordan all the time. But like. He never got that that wave of people just loving him. Like my uncle loves Wilt, like Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain is Wilt Chamberlain, that. and I was like, well, what about when they played against Kareem? Nah, Kareem got that one move. Eh, nobody liked that. But Wilt was dunking on folks. It's like it's kind of like Kareem and Tim Duncan. It's like he wasn't flashy enough for the for people to like totally embrace and he wasn't outspoken enough like to be all in the media like that so i think our older listeners can attest to like some of his political beliefs and stuff like that too because you know he came up in the time in the 60s and they're dealing with segregation and civil rights and he was very heavily involved in that along with muhammad ali so i think that plays a role in it as well that he's not embraced by everybody that like he should be all right, four five seven nine four six four. It's the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash here uh, on fourteen ten ESPN Radio. Uh, but yeah, that ESPN and. I said we'd get to it later. We're already deep into it now. We'll just pick up with this. But uh, yeah, ESPN put out this top seventy-four. Have you figured out why they did seventy-four, not seventy-five? And I wonder who seventy-five is to be honest. <laughs> right? Who got? You know, who I know who's seventy-four, but who the dog? hell's who's seventy-five? That's what I'm curious about. But the uh, the top ten in the ESPN's top seventy-four: Michael Jordan, number one. Duh. We figured <laughs> that was gonna be the LeBron, number two. Uh, Kareem, number three. Bill Russell, four. Magic Johnson, five. Wilt Chamberlain, six. Larry Bird, seven. Tim Duncan, eight. Kobe Bryant, nine. And Shaquille O'Neal at number 10. That is what ESPN has listed as their top 10 NBA players of all time. Such generic sports banter. I get it, but that's, you know, I, when you, they put this out, I couldn't just ignore it. I, I put it out on Facebook today on my Facebook page. I said, look, Kareem should be... Two at the at the lowest, I think he should be. I, I as much as I love LeBron, I'd put Kareem two. Although I still don't get how we put Kareem two and not number one because for every reason that you justify putting Michael Jordan ahead of LeBron James, you have to. If you use that same logic, then Kareem has to be above Michael Jordan as far as that's concerned. It's in my opinion, it's seventy four because this is the seventy fourth season of the NBA. All right, I figured it'd be something like that. I was trying to think. Yeah, I figured it'd be something similar like that to play into some kind of theme. Uh, but no, so the the notes that I made on the top ten and four five seven nine four six four your takeaway on the top ten. MJ LeBron Kareem, one, two and three. Four, five and six is Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, Wilt Chamberlain. Seven, eight and nine belongs to Larry Bird, Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, and 
number 10, Shaquille O'Neal. So as I said, Kareem should be number two, although I believe if we're playing by the same rules in the LeBron versus MJ conversation, Kareem should technically be number one. Tim Duncan, I don't view as a top ten of all-time great player. I just don't. Uh, I believe that Shaquille O'Neal, who comes in at number ten, I'll take him over Tim Duncan any day. Kobe Bryant being at number nine, I'd take Kobe Bryant over Larry Bird any day. I would, and I would rival Kobe with Magic, and I know people will hate that, and we're going to get into the debate of, con- of position versus position, which is why I'm sure you know you can make that you know debate about Shaq and Tim Duncan and and Kobe and Larry Bird and Kobe and Magic Johnson. Um, but man, I, I just I, Kobe Bryant to me should be a lot higher on that list. Shaquille O'Neal should be ahead of Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan should not be in the top ten, and that's what I have to say about that. Five of them, five of them. Five rings. The ring, look, the rings I get have to be a part of the conversation. Absolutely. But that's a great – congratulations on your team's success. That's fantastic. And they beat the Lakers to get, uh, I believe, four of those rings. Huh? The Lakers – the Spurs beat the Lakers on the way to winning those championships. And Shaq got a few of his rings by getting through the Spurs, too. I'm not sure if they played each other. Derek Fisher. There you go. You that's, the, that's the one. The three. The you, point you, three. You got your one. You the like point, <laughs> the point three seconds. Actually, I love that. In fact, they beat the Spurs twice because oh, David. Well, Rock, they beat they the Spurs twice. The Spurs. They didn't win the championship that year, by the way. They that was lost the Pistons the, year. The Pistons this year yeah. lost to the. Well, but they beat them nonetheless. David, Ro- check this other. I think David Robinson's year that he won the MVP. No, Tim Duncan won the MVP at nine in ninety nine. Ninety nine or two thousand. What? Either way, the Lakers Damn. went on to win the championship. I think it was two thousand then. 2009 Either way, the Lakers beat the Spurs then. And that was when the Spurs still had like the purple and blue on their court. Mm-hmm. So I remember that. The MVP ceremony was during the Western Conference Finals. Lakers-Spurs. Spurs, you know, Lakers beat Spurs. They go on to win NBA championship. But either way. Like you said, we can do that Jordan-LeBron thing. Yeah, I'm over it. I'm bored with that. Like, that, that's, 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 like you said, it's played out. It's very cliche. How yeah, we know LeBron's like- the best. <laughs> How do you feel about D Wade being at twenty six? I'm gonna pull up the rest because I got it. I always just I don't get I don't ever react to where they are at. I react to who's in front of them. Uh, you know what I mean? So I'm gonna look at. I mean, based on this top ten, D Wade's not a top ten of all time player. I'm right. not gonna say that. I need to see who's in front of them. We're gonna pick up with this on the top of the hour. It's the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. Live here on ESPN Dayton. Now I'll send you to the Wing Studios in Kettering. Here's your host, Justin Kinder. Welcome back. It's hour two of the Justin Kinner Show. How are you? Hope you had a great day. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station 1410, Wing AM. Uh, next Monday, we're going to be joined by Dan Straley, former Reds pitcher, pitching in the KBO. We already spoke with Jared Hoying, of course, from uh, Fort Loramie early, or late last week, uh, who's also playing in the KBO, but 
Dan Straley, former Red, was a part of the trade deal. I believe that was able to get Luis Castillo over here. So we're going to talk with him on Monday on 1410 Wing Live. Excited about that. We're going to talk some college football on Friday with ESPN's Heather Dinich. Uh, and right now, tentatively planned, uh, we have Kirk Herbstreit for tomorrow. So he responded back. We're working on a time at this, you know, for the time being. So as soon as I know that final time, I will let you guys know. Uh, but excited for some uh, guests that we have coming up here in the days to come. So be keeping an eye out for that as far as that's concerned. But yes. ESPN's Heather Dinich, who joins us regularly throughout the college football season. Uh, usually we don't chat with her at this time of year, but there's plenty to chat with her about. And I, I joked with her on the phone today. I said, well, I'd love to talk to you now because it doesn't sound like I'm going to be talking to you in the fall. So <laughs> we're going to chat with her coming up on Friday. So I'm looking forward to that as far as that uh, is concerned there. All right, again, it's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash and Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. Uh, and let's hit the ground running and pick up with where we left off. I know right now it's easy to get into the, the lists. Uh, I try to avoid lists as much as possible, um, but I think that of all the sports out there, like I don't really I don't get into Major League Baseball lists. I don't know why. Like when they rank pitchers and when they rank, rank hitters, I don't get into it. I, I don't know why. It, it just it doesn't interest me whatsoever. In football, kind of the same thing. I'm willing to have the one-on-one -on -one debate, like which quarterback is better between this guy and this guy. But I don't really like ranking, you know, quarterbacks, running backs, receivers. I don't really like doing that. I know we do that as far as like uh, ranking the AFC North or ranking you know, the, the league today. I'm okay with that because it's something that we're going to see on the field coming up next season, but I don't like doing the past. But for whatever reason, the NBA always has its separate rules for discussions in other sports. Uh, for instance, it's the only sport where in regular conversation you bring up championships. When you bring up greatest quarterback Although you will from time to time hear rings, Super Bowl rings, you don't hear it as often. I, I really don't. Like when you wa watch any national sports show, listen to any local show out there, when you start hearing them talk about great quarterback this, great quarterback that, it's, it's easy to, to bring up Tom Brady's six Super Bowl rings. But like when you talk Aaron Rodgers, we might bring up the fact that he's won a Super Bowl. You know, we might bring up the fact that Russell Wilson's won a Super Bowl. But, you know, the sad thing is, is I think outside of active quarterbacks right now, only two quarterbacks, only two active quarterbacks in the NFL right now have more than one Super Bowl, Big Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady. I don't think there's another active quarterback that has more than one. Russell Wilson's been to two. Drew Brees has been to two, or has he just been to one? Been to one. He's just been to one and won one. Uh, Eli Manning just retired. He was the only other one that had more than one. It's interesting right now when you look at the National Football League because when we talk all-time greats, I mean, we're going to go two decades with a less than a handful of quarterbacks that won multiple Super Bowls. Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, um, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, and that's it. Am I missing a, a big one there? No, I think that's it. In two decades... Like that, that's why I, I'm not a big fan. But is, so is that eliminating Aaron Rodgers from one of the all-time greats conversation? Russell Wilson, if he doesn't win one. But if you think about the last two decades, only four quarterbacks have won more than one Super Bowl. And I feel like there's another one, and I feel like we're missing an obvious one. You know what I'm saying? I, I think we are, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's it. And for and Twitter at ESPN Dayton at fourteen ten Kenner or at one Kev Nash. There's multiple Twitter accounts you can interact with the show. Help us out. If I'm missing one, let me know. Brett Favre didn't win anything in two thousand or two thousand. You know the two thousands, two thousand tens. He went to two. He played one, for three one. decades. I know. <laughs> right. He went to two Super Bowls. Won one. They lost to the Broncos in the they second beat Super Keith Bowl. Keith Byers and the Patriots yeah. in ninety six or eight or whatever the hell it was. Um, but yeah, so. 
that's why. Like Drew Brees to me is an all time. Dan Marino is an all time great quarterback. No Super Bowls. Dan, or, you know, Drew Brees only has one. Aaron Rodgers only has one. But I think when you start breaking it down, and Eli so has two, and I'm putting him last as far as all those quarterbacks <laughs> we're just talking about. So, <laughs> so when you judge a, a guy in sports, no matter what the sport is, how do you look at their career? What are you looking for for their greatness? What I'm looking for is actually going to go against my argument as to why Kareem should be number one. It's the, were you the face of the league? Was Kareem ever looked at as the league? When you thought NBA, you thought of Kareem. Did you? I wasn't alive no. when he played, so I don't uh, know if that's I, fair. I, I, I've never seen Kareem play live. I think outside of like that one-on-one game versus Dr. J back in 92. So I've, I've never seen Kareem play a live game. Um... So I, I agree with you when you're talking part of that with the NBA and your sports and NFL with the face of the league. I agree like that's that's part of the criteria. This is what hurt Kobe Bryant. And I'm going to be real here. If Kobe Bryant was more likable, he would be number two or three on that list. And I bring that up because whether you want to admit it or not, he was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan retired in literally the way Kobe walked, talked, shot the ball, played the game, treated his teammates, uh, approached the game. Everything that Kobe Bryant did in his career, he's the only other player that rivaled MJ as far as the way he approached the game. And as good as he was in the 2000s, and he won all his championships in the 2000s, you think of LeBron still. That's what's key. Like Kobe was never looked at as the face of the league. Even when Kobe was dominating the league without Shaquille O'Neal in that second Laker dynasty that was that they went to three straight finals, when they were doing that, although the Lakers went to three straight finals and Kobe Bryant was the face of the of the, of the Lakers at that point, it was still all about LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know what I mean? Like that year was actually supposed to be LeBron against Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed to be Lakers Cavaliers, LeBron versus Kobe Edge in the finals. Commercials. When, yeah, when Dwight uh, Dwight Howard and the Magic beat LeBron, which was that that pissed me off. I was so looking forward to seeing Lakers Cavs LeBron Kobe in the finals. It didn't happen. But what honestly, Kobe Bryant, you can't justify saying that he is is not in the top three when he is everything that MJ was. I think the thing right, but he just what? Hold on, real quick. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So I, I say that because I believe Kobe should be right up there in the same conversation as the top three players of all time if we're going to base it off of this list alone, too. MJ, LeBron, Kobe. The reason Kobe is not viewed as one of those two, it's not because he didn't win that sixth championship. Uh, it's not because he didn't you know, pass MJ in every major statistical. It's because he was never the face of the league. The only reason we get so passionate about LeBron versus MJ is because both have been, those have been the last three decades. It's been a little bit of Magic Johnson in the early 90s, but it was all MJ in the 90s. And a little attention went to MJ when he came back in the early 2000s, and then here comes LeBron, and LeBron was the face of the league because he was that high school phenom coming in. It went Magic Johnson, it went to MJ, LeBron. And underneath LeBron, during that stretch, you had the Spurs dynasty, the Lakers dynasty. Kobe was a part of two of those dynasties. <laughs> you know, so it, with LeBron wasn't even the most successful in the early two, in the 2000s to 2010. Kobe Bryant was, but he was never the face of the league. So being my criteria, if you were the face of the league or at least one of the faces of the league, then that, that's why I think Tim Duncan bothers me being as high as he is because I never looked at him as the face of anything. Um, 
the Spurs, yes. I'm not disrespecting. He was a great player. He just fascinates <laughs> me because you're, he's boring. I mean, we talk, the team emulated his play. Boring. I, yeah, yeah. I think in a perfect world, a Tim Duncan is what you want your NFL team to be like. Just flying under the radar, getting the job done. But back to the whole face of the league thing. I agree with you. Kobe Bryant probably wasn't the face of the league because when he was at his peak, when he was at his best, the team wasn't good. They weren't. They were seven seeds. They were uh, six seeds. That's what they beat. Like remember they beat Prime. Remember they beat Phoenix. He they came down like twenty down and he hit that game winner. I mean he's single handed. I mean Kobe played. The there's only one player that has come close to playing the game at the level of MJ and that's Kobe. I don't yes. care what anybody says that I know I watched from his first dribble in the NBA until his last dribble in the NBA. I, I mean you broke my damn Kobe Bryant bobblehead. <laughs> I was horrible. I was one of the I have a Kobe Bryant home jersey. I have the purple jersey. I have the black mamba jersey. Yellow, I have like four different Kobe Bryant jerseys. I, was a, I, tr I watched Kobe. He was Michael Jordan. I don't care what anybody says. The only thing he did not match Jordan on was becoming the, the face of the league. And that's crazy to me because he did it on the Lakers. People always say, oh, the Lakers make you. That's not always true. Sometimes the Lakers may make you and give you the spotlight, but sometimes it waters your success down because people just, oh, well, you're a Laker. You're supposed to do that. It's more impressive when MJ did it on a Bulls team that was about to fold before he got there. LeBron did it with the Cavaliers, and LeBron was the brand. Sometimes the Laker brand you know, shadows anything that's done underneath it sometimes. That's fair. I would even say Allen Iverson was the face of the NBA for a couple of years. I think that stretch, it was a combo. I think you could have put Shaq, Iverson, Kobe, Tracy McGrady. It was a team effort. Yeah. Um, and it took a team effort to replace MJ for a exactly. while. To kind of allow LeBron to, I mean, I remember when LeBron came into the league, LeBron versus T-Mac had to watch that matchup. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, the Cavaliers in Orlando play today, and it's like the biggest snooze fest in the world. <laughs> but that was the matchup when LeBron first came into the league. Tracy McGrady, before he went to Houston, that was the matchup. I think to that see. was a Christmas game. Yep. I remember that. I mean, I loved it. I loved everything about that matchup. Iverson, same thing against LeBron. Carmelo against LeBron. Those were all fun matchups. It was Prime a, time. you know, it was a team effort. But LeBron, honestly, when you thought NBA, you thought LeBron. I think about how. Can you tell the story of the NBA without this person? You can't tell the story of the NBA without Michael Jordan, without LeBron James. You cannot tell the story of the NBA without Mr. Bill Russell. He has 10 championships. You can't tell the story of the NBA without him. You can't tell the story of the NBA without the all-time scorer in Kareem. You can't tell the story of the NBA with a guy who scored 100 points in Wilt Chamberlain. Like... You can't tell the story of the NBA without Bird Magic, who saved the NBA in the 80s. So so that that right there, I'm already up to seven people. There's only three spots left for, for a ten, 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 top ten, right? So who do you give those last three spots to? Do you give it to the most dominant big man of all time, Shaquille O'Neal? Do you give it to the most fundamentally sound big man of all time, Tim Duncan? Do you give it to... The only son of Michael Jordan that became <laughs> the most close thing to Michael Jordan. Like, so then you leaving out guys like Akeem, the guy that won championships 
when Jordan wasn't there. There was Patrick Ewing didn't win championships when Jordan was gone. Reggie Miller didn't win championships when Jordan was gone. Clyde Drexler didn't win championships when he was gone. But Kareem, I mean, but Elijah Wan stepped up to the plate and got him some championships. Took advantage of that opportunity. So it's a lot of guys you can throw in there. You can say, hey man, look at what Steph Curry did. He changed the NBA. The NBA was played. At the three-point line, everything, three-point line and in. Now, you have to guard dudes out to the logo. Look what Dame Dollar is doing. Dame is shooting from the logo. That started because Steph Curry's range. Yeah, but see, here's the problem, though. Like, like they changed, the, He changed the game. But sometimes that's... And that's why I always laugh when we talk stats too much, because sometimes that stuff doesn't matter. I agree. And here's what I mean by that. Look at baseball. I know, you just crushed <laughs> Mike Trout statistically is on pace to be the best of all time. Statistically is on pace. And no one cares. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to be I funny agree. here. So when people talk about the way Steph Curry changed the game, is it as revolutionary, although he is changing the game, but is it revolutionary in regards to, is it, is it bringing eyes on the, on, on the product? Absolutely. I, I think it's revolutionizing the eyes that are already on the product. I don't think that people are watching. Like, watch when LeBron leaves. We like right now. I'm like, man, the NBA is a good show. There's stars all over the place. LeBron leaves. I, how intriguing is Kevin Durant's journey at this point? Because before it was man, Kevin Durant versus LeBron. He's chasing LeBron. You take LeBron out. No one's even. No one in the league now is even rivaling. Like you, for a while, the story. Like you could see the tears. Mm-hmm. All right, so. MJ retires. Oh, here comes Kobe and this Lakers team and this Spurs team. So that's going to be the story of the NBA for the years to come. All right. After Kobe retires, then LeBron has fully established himself with the Heat and then back with the Cavs. And then LeBron, it was all eyes on LeBron moving forward. And right now you have Anthony Davis. You have all these other pieces. They're all really good. I use Mike Trout as an example. Stats don't always matter. Stats don't always bring eyes to the product. So although Steph Curry's changing how the game is played, is it... Being as is it is he doing it in a way that is bringing more eyes to the product? Like when Shaquille O'Neal did it, like Shaquille O'Neal was must-watch TV. As much as I enjoy Steph Curry, I don't know if Steph Curry's must-watch TV. I don't think there's a. I think there's only one must-watch guy in the league, maybe two. Zion, I'm disappointed in the league stopping play this year because Zion is making waves in the league in a, in, a, in a different way than any other player that's come in. Trey Young has come in and had a fantastic rookie season. In year two. The son of Steph Curry. I mean, doing a fantastic, he's doing a great job. But it's not getting the attention that Zion Williams is getting. So I think it's a little different. Like you could change the game. You could have great stats. But is it rising your product? I think you're just a, a, you're, you're a pawn in the, in the game of the NBA. But LeBron's look, the one controlling everything. But right look now. how the game is played now that he's there. They don't, like, that's why the Rockets only, all they do is shoot threes and layups. Because of Steph Curry, because of analytics. Oh, well, three is more than two. No, duh. Three has always been more than two. Glad you just figured that out. But with his range, it, it causes people just to totally change how they play. Like, look at, you just mentioned it, Trey Young. That's that's who he wants to be like. That's who he plays like. So many guys, like now in high school, I, I was uh, with my nephew not too long ago, and He's warming up, and he's jagging up a half-court three. Why are you shooting a half-court three before you even shoot a free throw? Like, that, yeah. is, that, is, that is 
the people that are watching them, they're emulating what goes on in the NBA, and that's all because of Steph Curry. Like he changed the game. You gotta give dudes props that changed the game. Yeah, it's funny. No, no, you're right though. You go to any youth basketball <laughs> game, uh, you're watching them trying to. In four five seven nine four six four, we'll take your calls now. I know some are coming in at the moment. I think the line just got clogged all at once. So if you call back, we'll get you back on. But I wish when when we talk about you know kids trying to emulate Steph Curry. You walk out on the floor. If you could emulate a basketball team warming up, like that's what you should pay. If you want to mock any basketball player, mock how they warm up. I guarantee you, Steph Curry's not coming right out of the locker room and <laughs> jacking up threes. Everyone goes to a basket, and you're just working. I mean, you're just kind of flipping the ball up at the backboard, up at the rim, and then you're kind of getting that that wrist loose, and then you're backing up yep. and shooting from a little further, shooting from a little further. And then you have these kids coming out there just jacking up threes the second that they walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Walk out there, man. I mean, right. I remember in the early 2000s when I would go play basketball, everybody had an armband on, the long sleeve like Allen Iverson. Everybody did a million between the legs crossover moves and try to make you fall like Allen Iverson. Like, that's like when, that's why I said about the big man being disrespected because the average person is only about in between 5'7 and six foot one. That's a regular person. So when we see regular people in the NBA doing great things, that's what we want to be like. That's why they are, they have like this big article in uh, ESPN a little while ago about how sneaker shells used to do. Shaq's shoes didn't sell because he's a big man. Jordan's shoes sell because he's Michael Air Jordan, like he wants to do cool things. Allen Iverson's shoes sold well. All right, four five seven nine four six four. Uh, again, it's the Justin Kenner show here on fourteen ten ESPN Radio. You know, you talk about them arm sleeves. I remember I tried it one time. My coach said, "Man, you can, you really pull that off." And I said, "Thanks, coach." He goes, "No, pull it off." <laughs> Headband? Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, I could be wearing wristbands, armbands. Everything. Can't see it under my warm-up. We'll be back in a moment. More of the Justin Kinner Show next. Call William Brockman and Sons Heating and Air Conditioning. We're offering $1,600 in rebates or enjoy payments as little as $116 a month on a new Linux system. Call 937-222-8638 today. Conditions apply. See dealer for details. Ohio license number 14911. Hey, 2020 seniors, your friends at Lance Roofing and Siding in Fairborn want you to know how proud we are of you. We celebrate you, the class of 2020. We know you will go out into the world and do incredible things. Here's to you. Best of luck, seniors, from Lance Roofing and Siding. Unlock the potential of your outdoor world at your locally owned Cub Cadet dealer, East Lawn and Garden, with innovative zero-turn mowers, lawn tractors, utility vehicles, and professional products. Every Cub Cadet machine is engineered with you in mind to deliver incredible strength, durability, and comfort. And only your local dealer stocks genuine parts, accessories, and trained service technicians to keep your equipment running at peak performance for years to come. Commercial products are intended for professional use. Visit East Lawn and Garden, 1632 East Route 36 in Urbana, your local Cub Cadet dealer. Back to the Justin Kinner Show, right here on ESPN Dates, 1410 Wing AM. You ain't gonna get that one, Kev. What are you talking about? It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash here on 1410 ESPN Radio. You just you couldn't help yourself. I'm trying to be on my best behavior today. You brought, it up. You, you brought you, it up. You brought it up. Not me. No, you did. You're no, going. No, you, no, 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 no. You're going all baseball mode. Oh man, this player is the only player ever to hit a home run on the uh, on the first of May uh, when the sun's out and the moon's out at the same time. No. Man, he's the greatest of all time. I'm talking That's about Michael. That's not true. That's yeah, not right. true. That's not what happened. I said. 
Michael Jordan is the only player to score 50 points in three different decades. He did it in the 80s with 63 points. Well, that's just one of those, but that was his career high. 69 in the 90s, and then 51 in uh, 2001, his final NBA season. Then you brought up, how old was he? I told you, 38. LeBron's 30, going to be 38 soon? He's actually, LeBron's 35, going to be 36. But... You brought up LeBron. You brought up, you brought up but, LeBron. But you're making James. it sound like as I if, didn't say as if nothing. Michael Jordan rolls up to a to a uh, an arena in a wheelchair every game and and he can barely know, walk and is, he goes out there and drops a, fifty. Like oh man, only MJ could do this. No, oh, that, that, obviously it is because he's the only player to do it. Huh? It obviously he is because he's the only player to do it. Anyways, because the LeBron. Think about how many more he'd have if he wanted to quit two times. Hey, just saying. We'll never know. We'll never know. We never know. But what we do know is that he quit two times. Retired. What else we know? Just saying. What else we know? By the way, last week you were wrong. <laughs> what else we know? Hold up. Last week you were wrong. No. No, you were because you told me that he specifically retired because his father passed. That's not the case. His little agent on that documentary said that... You know, yes, many people said that he retired because his father passed, but he had let his agent know that he was going to retire the year before, but he had already committed to the Olympic team, uh, and he that was the first time, too, that he knew that Larry Bird had never won three straight and the Magic had never won three straight, and he wanted uh, to do that. So, no, he was already planning on quitting before that. So I just, I, when I, I was right again. I mean, seriously, like, I mean, I, how does it feel? I mean, you okay. were wrong a lot before, but now you have to sit in here with me every day and be wrong on the air. I mean, come on. How's it feel? Uh, I'm going to pull it up now. Pull I'm up pull, what? I'm going to pull up the audio. Audio what? I'm going to pull up the audio of him saying what he said. And I'm yeah, telling back, you what he back, said. Back in 93. And I, that's fine. That's, that's what that said, but that's a lie because this documentary. Oh, so it trumps everything. This documentary is the... So that, that, that's what you said too. This documentary is, is it's basically like this documentary has basically like been like the Bible brought to life. I mean, that's basically what this documentary series has been for you, Jordan Dumpers. I'm just saying. And by the way, and, and I heard this today, y'all LeBron yeah, fans is so insecure. I bring I'm up not insecure at all. about Michael Jordan. Y'all directly say, "Well, how old was he? Well, LeBron's about to be 36." Okay, I just pointed out a fact because that the man had, the man scored 50 points in three different decades. Oh yeah, because you act like I he was forty five years old. I didn't bring but up LeBron. But like you did it with like this little like oh yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> you want to hear this about Michael Jordan? He's the only player, like the only like no other player could do this. He's the only player to score fifty in what two different decades, three different decades. Three different, that, that is the fact. That is a fact. That is yeah, what happened. But you know what? Like that's like, one of those. Like hold on, hold on. The fact that LeBron James is going to be the all-time. Well, yeah, he retired two thousand two. Two thousand two. Two, yeah, 2003. Yeah, because LeBron came in 2003. So 2002. Why didn't he come back for 2003? You could have seen MJ versus LeBron. Anyways, uh, then we really would have known who's... No, I'm just joking. Oh, my. <laughs> no, but uh, where was I going with this? Come on, catch up, Kenner. Oh, no, no. But like that thing about the three different decades, I hate that. That's like uh, the whole thing about Vince Carter. He's the, he's the only player in the history of basketball to play in four different decades because he played in the 90s. 2000s, 2010s, and now 2020. I'm like, oh, but that's just because he started in like the late 90s and is retiring in the early 2020s. So it's not so that starting, impressive. Starting in 84. No, starting in 84. It's being painted, painted in. as if he's played like in 30 years. Like, oh, LeBron, or Michael Jordan over a 30-year career. Oh, yeah, yeah. Give I me think a break. that would, I'm just saying it started in 84, ended in 02. Uh-huh. Well, a year and a half off. Quitting will do that. 
No, actually, more than a year and a half off. You retired, was retired. A year and a half. Two seasons. That first season, they lost to the the Knicks in the in the conference finals, semifinals, semifinals, and they come. What I always say, conference finals. And then lost to the. And then the next year, they lose to the Magic. Yeah. Uh, But semifinals again. That's that damn number forty-five. If only he would have came in at twenty-three. Dang it. Negative. (laughs) Negative. They would have lost anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Now I heard today too something about Shaquille O'Neal said Michael, Michael Jordan would average. 40 a game if he played today. And I'm like, well, he would have averaged 40 a game when he played back then, too. But he didn't because he played to the system to play the championship level. By the way, you know how many players in the league today can average 40 a game? James Harden could average 40 a game if you let him. LeBron could average 40 a game if you let him. Like Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. You know how many players in the game today could average 40 a game? Very easily. It does not mean that you could do it in a championship style. And before you say, oh, well, Michael could because he did it with the Bulls. No, he didn't. That's why when he averaged that 37-38 a game, they said, well, look, now you're just a scoring champion, but if you want to win championships, you're going to have to buy into this triangle system. And when he did that, and I give him credit for that because not a lot of stars like to buy into systems. But he did it, and look how many points it took off. The only way the Bulls were able to be the Bulls is because he had to, you know, change his style. So I'm, I'm actually... Saying, yes, I believe MJ could score 40 a game in today's game, but it's not like he would be the only one that could. LeBron, at 35 years old, can average 40 a game if you let him. He wouldn't win a championship doing it, but he could do it. James Harden, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, the list goes on and on. There's so many guys in the NBA that can average 40 a game, but you can't do it on a winning team. Michael Jordan, if he played today, sure, he could average 40 a game, but he he wouldn't because his goal wouldn't be to win a scoring champion. He would be aiming to win a championship. You're not going to average 40 on a championship team. You're just not. Got no arguments out of me. It's about winning championships. Yeah, whole <laughs> mess about that. I'm getting all frustrated. I, you wanted to argue with me. I, hey, you can score 50 points a game. You tired of being wrong? I'm just saying. I agree. I mean, what's the point of scoring a whole bunch of points if you can't win the championship? Like, it's cool. It's cool to look at James Harden, but eventually you get tired in the playoffs like every other season and you know, we watch you go home or, you know, it's cool. Something else Shaq said today, too, about the asterisks. I'm not a big fan of that either. That if the if the if whoever wins the championship, if they come back this year, whoever wins the championship, that it won't feel like a real championship. That's dumb. Horrible. I totally disagree with that. Um, you know, he talked about the Spurs getting an asterisk that one no. year. They played a shortened season. I disagree. I never look at it like that. There's no such thing Everybody's as an asterisk, by the way. by the same situation. Uh, and I completely agree. Like That's what's strange to me about this is to, to why they're saying that. I mean, if anything, winning a championship in this year is more special. It's more special winning a championship. If the NBA comes back, and whether it's the Lakers, whether it's the Bucks, whether it's the Clippers, whoever, uh, regardless, my thinking is is that it's even more special to win a championship this year. To do it this year. Because you did. I mean, you basically had to stop playing for three months and then get back in shape quickly, and then hit the ground running. So to me, I think it's actually going to be even more difficult. I think it's going to be more difficult to win a championship this year. I um, say, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Whoever wins the NBA championship, hopefully we get it, get one. It's going to be on the same level as when the Patriots won the championship after 
Like, everybody's going to remember that championship for that reason. Everybody's going to win this, remember this championship because, the, oh, yeah, remember that was the season. Everything was good. And then the Rona struck and they had to shut it down for like four months. And then so-and-so came back and they won the championship. Man, that's crazy. Can you believe that, man? That, that ain't never been done before. Hopefully, we'll never see that again. Just like we always say, that was amazing what the Patriots was able to do to win a championship after 9-11 with the Patriotic, America, Patriots. That whole thing. That's the type of level it's going to be on if and when we get the NBA back. And, for that matter, with hockey as well. You know, and the same thing for baseball this year. Now, I will say this. The reason that the NBA, I don't look at, and I'm not a believer in asterisks. Don't get me wrong. I I don't believe in that. However, the NBA winning the championship, that's going to be big. That's a big deal. Baseball season, the reason I'm going to feel weird about, like, let's say the Reds. And it's not that far-fetched to think that the Reds can do it. I think they have a great bullpen, great rotation. Uh, they have power in that lineup. Let's say the Reds go on a deep playoff run. Let's say they get to the World Series, okay? Let's say they win the World Series. Let's say the Reds win the 2020 World Series. Mm. In a season that you only play 80 games, in a season that you do not play your traditional divisional opponents. Now, I'm assuming in that latest one that I can't remember if that was the, the, the 10 teams in the, in the blocked-off divisions or the actual NL Central. I can't remember how they exactly lined that up. But it, it's not going to be your traditional season. It's not going to be your traditional off days. It's not going to be your traditional anything. No all-star break. Uh, you know, the playoffs will be different. Uh, you know, so with all of that being said, winning a World Series in 2020, you're winning a championship in a sport that will be played in a completely different way that has ever been played before and that probably won't be played like that again. And I do, I will not look at it differently, but I promise you, whether you think that or not, it will feel different. Winning a World Series in 2020 in front of no fans, which, by the way, that would be my luck as a Reds fan, <laughs> that the Reds would win it this year. And I, you know, I'm not going to say I would be pissed, but it would be really disappointing. It would be bittersweet. I guess that's the proper way to say it. It would be very bittersweet yeah. if the Reds won the World Series this year but I couldn't go to a World Series game to watch them do it. There'd be no fans. Uh, it would be special. And 20 years from now, when you're looking at the Reds' playoff history and World Series history, you're going to put 2020 up there. But it's going to feel different. So I don't believe in the asterisk part of it, but it's definitely not going to feel like any other championship right. in any sport. Definitely going to be unique. So I, I, I don't like that word. It has such a negative connotation to it. You use asterisks with guys like Barry Bonds yeah. and the guys that you know cheated the game. That, that's when, when I think of asterisks, it's like, oh, yeah, you, know, you won it, but did you win it fairly? That's when I think of asterisks. I don't think that's fair to do that in this conversation here. If the Lakers win the NBA title this year, there's no asterisks next to it. They've been the best team in basketball all year. So if they go on to win the championship after being off for three months, how's that an asterisk? I don't get that. Like, I, I don't get that. I'm not buying that. Who, where was he being interviewed at? He was on. Hold up. He did. First take, it was first take. He did first take because he was promoting some event that he's doing or he was promoting something that he's advertising. Where it was like a five-minute conversation with uh, Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Should have followed, the follow-up question should have been, uh, well, the Heat championship with your buddy Dwayne Wade, their championship together with him, LeBron, and Bosh, their first championship versus the Thunder was an NBA shortened season. That don't count for your buddy D-Wade? Like, yeah. No, it's a championship. Everybody's playing by the same rules, man. You know what's you know what would be an asterisk and we're gonna get to the phone in just a second. Uh let's say the Warriors, let's say they, they scrapped everything clean. We're gonna do a two month regular season <laughs> and reseed the playoffs that way. And 
the Warriors get Clay Thompson back and you get Steph Curry back. You know what I mean? And then like, <laughs> and now that team even with those two back, and they not end good up enough. playing the the Nets. Yeah, versus KD and Kyrie. Now let's I'm say here for that. Or if the Nets, oh, and that's actually a better example because even if the Warriors are fully healthy with Clay and Steph, they're not good enough to win the title this year. They'd be, win a lot more games. They'd probably win about forty something games with that with that duo. They're not winning a title. Uh, they do have Draymond. However, they've won a title with that core before, so it wouldn't be that unheard of. However, uh, the Nets are a prime example. Let's say Steph. Curry and Kevin Durant comes back with the Nets, a team that was a very good team the year before without either of those two, and they go on to the finals and win it. I'd say that's an asterisk because when you allowed Kevin Durant to get healthy for three months and then he comes back and they get that, I would that I would argue with anyone about. That's different, you know what I mean? But if the if the season resumes and the Lakers go and win a championship, the team that's been the best in the NBA all season, anyways, that's not it. Let's go to uh, Dave in Centerville. Dave, how are you, man? Hey, good guys. How are you guys doing? Good. good. Appreciate the call, man. What's up? Uh, I just, you know, it's funny. Thank goodness there could not have been better timing for um, the last dance <laughs> than what's going on right now. Because, you know, it's funny. Jordan is amazing. You know, he's the greatest of all time. I mean, I, I think you can argue between him and LeBron all day long. The one thing that you can't take away is that they both made their teammates better. Um, and you, we can talk about ranks, you can say, because that's what everybody's measured by is championships. But we've talked more about Jordan in the past, you know, six weeks, four weeks, than we have in the last five years. And it's a, it's, this documentary is just absolutely amazing, and it brings out um, all these questions. I mean, you guys yesterday were talking about the, the power forwards uh, and, and who who you would or wouldn't leave on the list. And I think part of the reason why we're having that discussion is because we're sitting here watching uh, The Last Dance, and it's bringing up all these, these ideas about the NBA. And, and by the way, for my money, um, you guys brought up Dirk yesterday, and and Justin, you were all about Dirk. You know, I'll take Barkley over Dirk. I would even take Kevin McHale over Dirk. And it's not because uh, they were better scores. I just think when the, when the game was on the line and I needed somebody to go get me a rebound or somebody to bang inside what a power forward is supposed to do, both of those guys did it better than Dirk. Um, but that's just me. But anyways, you know, Great players are, are measured by championships and how much better they made their teammates around them. Um, you know, Pierre Garçon, the wide receiver uh, who used to catch passes from Peyton Manning, is a multimillionaire because of Peyton Manning. Mount Not Union's finest. What's that? He went to Mount Union. Just, oh, you that, know. That's why, that, <laughs> so that's why. I'm just saying, we would have never heard of that guy. You might have because he went to Mount Union. <laughs> but we would have never heard of him if he didn't have Peyton Manning telling him the football. But, you know, all great players make other players around them better. Um, you know, and the list goes on for Peyton Manning. It goes on for guys like Tom Brady. And, and all the guys that, you know, for that were around Mike, Michael Jordan, when he was in his prime, um, the John Paxson, Jay was a great shooter. Steve Kerr was a great spot-up shooter. B.J. Armstrong, great spot-up shooter. But if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, they're getting put on lockdown by whoever's defending them, and we don't know what a great spot-up shooter they were because they would never get the ball. They probably wouldn't get the game. But when you have somebody like Jordan who could penetrate and kick the ball back out, he could do everything that he did. And, you know, the, the other part that's lost about everything that was so great about Michael Jordan was the all-defensive team that he was on every single year as well. He didn't just play offense and shut it down on defense. He was amazing at both ends of the court. And I'll say the exact same thing about LeBron James. Unbelievable offensive talent. Makes everybody around him better to a fault that he passes the ball and passes up maybe a game-winning shot and, and someone else throws up a brick 
well, then LeBron's afraid to throw up the, you know, he's afraid under pressure. That's not true. How many times did we, why can't they get two? John Paxson hit one, and Steve Curry hit one for Jordan. And Jordan got praised because they hit the shot. If whoever LeBron's throwing the ball after he hits a shot, Absolutely. well, then all of a sudden, you know, then then maybe he's got another ring, and maybe it's not he's, it's not that he's afraid to crack or the cracks under pressure. It's that he's the ultimate team player. And then you look at what he does on defense. You know, I don't need to go back to just go back to his title that he won with Cleveland when he busted his tail, got back down the court, and smacked. I can't. I think it was Clay Thompson or somebody. Iguodala off the backboard. Yeah, unbelievable. Arguing the best defensive play you're ever going to see in your life. Best defensive play so in the, finals history, hands down. Yeah. So, so to say who's better, who's who's got more rings? Um, I mean, we're, we are straight up comparing apples to apples. They are both the best player I've ever seen play. The most, the best player that most of your listeners have probably ever seen play. Until we drag some of these guys in that we're seeing Will and, and some of the and, and the Bill Russells play. Um, but even back then, it was a completely different game. And just the athleticism of LeBron and Michael, uh, I, I think, would have wore those guys down. So this is, like I said, I'll go back to just what I started, and I'll, and I'll let you guys go. The, the best thing that could have happened right now at this time in our lives is the last dance because it has us talking about how awesome Jordan was and how unbelievable the product that the NBA is right now sitting in front of us. Um, so, anyways, that's, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Go Barkley, go McHale, take a, take a seat there. There you go. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, Dad, Dave, thanks so much for the call, man. Take care. Now, he, he makes a great point. I will defend Dirk as far as this is concerned. Dirk wasn't, I guess he was a bad rebounder, but it wasn't his role to rebound. I mean, you look at the, the teams that he played on. The re, I mean, look, the reason Dirk was unique is when you think power forward, it's tough to think about Dirk because when you think of power forward, you think of the, the, the secondary big man that's out on the floor, mm-hmm. the guy that does even more of the little things than your center. Your center is a shot blocker and a rebounder, but your power forward's the guy that could at least you know be a stretch defender at times, uh, a bigger body to put out on the perimeter, or a guy that can muscle and out-rebound anybody and kind of do a lot at, at both ends of the floor. But with the Mavericks, I mean, Dirk Nowitzki wasn't supposed to be the main rebounder. They had Eric Dampier, and again, these are names that are not Hall of Fame na- names at all, but that's the thing. They put their money into guys like a Jason Kidd, a Dirk Nowitzki, uh, star players around him that were going to, you know, Sean Mary and Michael Finley, names that aren't the biggest names, but they were, you know, pieces that fit that mold. But Eric Dampier, Brandon Bass, you remember Brandon mm-hmm. Bass? Uh, not really known for anything in the league other than being a big body and a rebounder. Same thing with Eric Dampier. How about Tyson Chandler? Uh, if we were, and we're going to do this coming up, or, you know, sometime this week, we're going to make a, a, a lineup, a, a roster. Actually, he was an all-star, so I'm not allowed to use him. He was a, I think he's been on one or two all-star games, at least one. So you're on it. But if we had to make a lineup out of NBA players who had not made an all-star game, Tyson Chandler would be right there at the top. He's one of my all-time favorite non-great players, if that makes sense. Like, I loved watching Tyson Chandler play even back when he was with the Bulls to, you know, to start out his career. Uh, you know, Drew Gooden, Brendan Haywood, like, those are all the big rebounding bodies that the Mavericks put with Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki's job was not to rebound. His job was to be, uh, he, he's the one that re, kind of, he reestablished or he, whatever you want to call it, redefined what you could do with that position. I mean, he was the start of stretching that out. So, you know, you know, you know what I mean? That's, yeah, that's yeah. kind of how I, I view Dirk. Uh, Tyson Chandler, 2013 NBA All-Star when he was with the Knicks. So. 2011 that, champion. I think with. that's that year they made the playoffs. They had him on Shumpert, and they were. They, they, yeah, they, they were it. loaded. They were loaded. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. My biggest thing about 
Dirk, and I love Dirk, especially Dirk? especially when they beat the Heat. Like he was outstanding in that series, and I'm gonna find his stats here in a minute. But the thing about the Dallas Mavericks that just irked me to no end is that Mark Cuban, one of the best owners in the NBA, he didn't run it back. He allowed Tyson Chandler to walk. He allowed Jason Kidd to walk. He let all his free agents walk. And you never gave them the satisfaction to say, like, all right, we're going to run it back. We're going to try to win our championship again. Like, we're going to try to go back to back. Like, we, you were talking about with uh, Jordan when he was talking about possibly retiring after his second championship. Well, he wanted to do something that Bird and Magic didn't do and go for a three-peat. You never allowed Dirk the satisfaction of trying to win another championship, you just blew it up, and you. I think that was in uh, 2012. Dirk just retired last year, so basically, all those other years he was playing in the NBA, he knew he wasn't going to win a championship. At least, if you'd have brought the guys back the next year, you could have gave it a run for your money. If you'd have lost, you'd have lost, and then blow it up after that. I just that irks me to no end that they didn't get a chance to try to repeat. Well, in doubt and. Mark Cuban's defense. Let's be clear here. I like Mark Cuban. I actually think that when we talk about it, we hear this in Cincinnati all the time. Oh, they can't get free agents. They can't get free. Dallas is not a free agent destination. And I bring, and it's not because they're not willing to spend money. Right. Every time there is a big name free agent out there. Like when LeBron was looking, like when he went to mm -hmm. the Lakers. We're talking New York. We're talking all these other teams. Dallas was in the conversation because of money. Like, Dallas is always, anytime there's a key free agent, Kevin Durant, their name was in the mix to get him to. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, they were in the mix to get him to. Every big-name free agent, Dallas is right there. So I don't think it's for lack of trying. I also, and me and you disagree on this as well, but you look at the, you look at the roster that year they won that NBA championship. They were playing with house money, Kev. I don't care what you say. That group was not expected to win a championship, and it was just it was amazing that they did. And I'm a big Jason Kidd fan. Uh, I'm a big Dirk Nowitzki fan. Uh, I like Sean Marion. In fact, people laugh when I say this, but when I, and Sean Marion's actually smaller than Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin's, like, I think, a few inches taller. I think Obi's, like, what? Sean Marion's, like, six, seven, I believe. I think Obi is like when you talk about player comps, I always bring up Sean Marion, but I'm a huge Sean Marion fan. That roster, and especially with what the Heat did, I mean, you had Chris Bosch, LeBron, D. Wade. Everyone was surprised that they didn't win the championship that year. The NBA champions that year were surprised that the Heat didn't win the championship <laughs> that year. Uh, and also, you know, Sean Marion was older. Uh, Jason Kidd was older. Um, and you also have, you know, Tyson Chandler, who was injury prone. There was just a lot of their core pieces that helped them win that championship. None of those guys were who. Mark Cuban looked at it and said, I can invest a lot of money into to keep this thing going. I do agree with you, though, as far as trying to give it one more year, maybe. But, I mean, it reminded me of that Toronto team last year. Let's say that Kawhi went back to Toronto to say, oh, let's go back and try to give it another swing. They ain't winning another championship. Why not? They ain't winning They would be the number one team in the East. They ain't winning another championship. We don't know. We know. I know. And Kawhi knows. That's why he ended up going no, to the Clippers. I want to go back, back home to... LA, it's cool. You go back home, but I mean, you know, I just, I the, just got the luckiest, just away. the luckiest champ, the luckiest championship win ever was that one. Not, not when Draymond got suspended and the Cavs going to win. The Cavs were good enough to win that series. It would have, they would have had to fight it out. But you know, you, you don't know how that series would have ended either way. This, now you know exactly how that finals ends if you put Kevin Durant back out on the floor. The way the cookie crumbles. It today. is the way the cookie crumbles. But, but, you must that same damn cookie crumbles the exact same damn way the next damn season. It ain't going to be the same ending. 
but see, but you don't know unless you I know. play. I, 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 I do know. And also, I know. And we also, all know. You even know deep down. Also, also, the New York Giants won a Super Bowl with Hostetler when Phil Sims was their starting quarterback and Hostetler was the backup and they beat the Buffalo Bills. So you don't know. You could put the Golden State Warriors in that Super Bowl. It don't matter. <laughs> well, Golden State, we wouldn't have to worry about Golden State making the NBA Finals this year, so they wouldn't be playing them. Well, you don't know. Maybe if that cookie you keep talking about crumbles the right way, maybe they get back. You have no idea. We'll be back in a moment. More of the Justin Kinner Show next. Justin Kinner Show, right here on ESPN Dayton, 1410 Wing AM. All right, Justin Kinner, Kev Nash, back with you here. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. Um, so, interesting note here. This comes from uh, Ryan reaches out on Facebook. Ryan Snyder says, if baseball never went on strike, does MJ ever come back? And, Kevin, you and I discussed this during the break. I believe MJ comes back, but I believe that the the baseball strike in, what, 94? Would that have been 94? I think so. So he retired 2003 uh, after that finals in 2003 and then prepared for baseball that very next season, so the 93-94, so the 94-95 yeah, season. So the strike of 94-95, if that strike doesn't happen, that honestly would have altered the entire back half of the 90s for the NBA as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I, to answer your question, yes, I believe MJ comes back. Uh, I believe MJ would have gotten better with more reps in baseball. I believe MJ would have gotten better as a baseball player. I do not believe MJ would have got to the points where he was an all-star in baseball. He wouldn't be hitting in the top half of your lineup. Uh, you know, might get, you know, you know, he'll have streaks here. I just, I never really saw that happening, to be honest with you. Um, interesting. So with that being said, Michael Jordan was too competitive to be a role player on a baseball roster. Like he, he, it was a challenge to see if he could play pro baseball. He accepted that challenge. He was starting to progress. I mean, he had flaws. Don't get me wrong. Couldn't hit a breaking ball. Wasn't the best fielder. Was getting better. Uh, I believe he would have continued to work to get better. Um, but at best, he's a utility player, a rotating outfield guy for a Major League Baseball team for the White Sox. Michael Jordan's way too uber competitive, as you see in this documentary, for that to be able to fill his fix for a competitive outlet. Um, So to me, he would have definitely ended up back in basketball at some point. Now, I do not believe that, let's say that that strike doesn't happen. I don't believe that if MJ would have played two years of baseball and came back in 96 or 97, that Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen would still be waiting in Chicago for him to come back. I believe after that little tirade with Scottie Pippen pouting on the sideline and not going into the game late, I believe that that roster would have probably been blown up within that year, and Phil Jackson would have been gone sooner as well. So MJ would have come back, but, man, MJ could have potentially been playing for another team. I think Phil Jackson would have been picked up by another team at that point. Michael will probably follow Phil Jackson somewhere. Pippen probably follows (laughs) Phil Jackson somewhere. So that's why I believe that, yes, he comes back, but it's a completely different ending to that story. Absolutely. Someone messaged in and said, stop talking about LeBron as the greatest. He he hot teams too many times, as you and I have discussed. LeBron hot teams, not defending that. I don't really like that, by the way. I like I love the fact that Kobe played for the Lakers his whole career. I love that MJ is known for playing for the Bulls. I hate that when you think of LeBron, you know it's the Cavs, but he didn't have the most his have his success with the Cavs. You know he did a lot with the Heat. If he wins a title with the Lakers, that's going to be intriguing too. But Michael didn't bounce around because he didn't have to. The Bulls drafted well. The, make fun of the organization all you want when he got there, how bad it was. They draft, They kicked ass with that draft. They built that championship team. They didn't draft Michael Jordan and then put free agents around him. 
they built that championship team and plugged holes where need be. Michael Jordan did not leave the Bulls, not because he was just this loyal thing. He didn't leave because he was never tempted to leave because he didn't have to leave. He had well, championship fair, roster around him. But to be fair, NBA free agency didn't come around to the 90s. Like, you couldn't. Like, you signed the contract, either you play or you don't play. You can't just like, oh, man, I don't feel like playing. I don't want to play with the Bulls no more. I'm forcing my way to the Suns. Like, you couldn't do that. That wasn't a thing. But and when it was, though, but I mean, he always felt that, the, but the team, you look at the history of the, yeah, by the they time, were always making the right moves. Yeah, by the time free agency came around, they were they were locked and loaded. They were rolling. Why leave? We we went in chips. So that's but, my, but I'm not going to give LeBron, I'm not going to yeah, hold I can't, that I can't hold, like, obviously, when LeBron left the Cavs for the first time, I was just like every other person in the state of Ohio. I was mad. I was upset. But at the end of the day, man, you know, that's why it's called NBA free agency. You he can leave. He can do what it, do, do what he wants to do. And just like any other person out there that works their job, if they have another opportunity to go work for another company, you have that right. You can do that. We may not like it because uh, we're supposed to look at these guys as, oh, man, y'all supposed to be there. Y'all supposed to stay loyal and stay in to entertain us. But you know what happens in the NFL when you're not producing anymore? They cut you, no matter if you got a contract or not. We talk about Dak Prescott a lot. I like him. You don't. Eventually, they're going to work out a contract with Dallas Cowboys. When Dak isn't performing up to that contract's needs anymore, they're going to cut him with years left on the contract. So I understand why people expect athletes to be super loyal to organizations when the organizations aren't loyal to them. Like, be loyal to the fan base. Show the fans a lot of love because those are the real reasons that are putting money in your pocket. They're the ones coming to the games. Show the fans love, but the organization, eh. Eh, I don't, you don't need to do all that. Let's say Phil Jackson. Let's say the Bulls do the last dance in '95. Like it's '95 or '90s. Let's say '96 is the last season that they. You know, if, if Michael doesn't come back, let's just say that you know Phil because. And there's just a couple of years left, but we're we're not doing this. We're we're moving on. We're rebuilding this roster. You know, they you, the ownership already wasn't very high on P Pippen to begin with. His attitude that year in the playoffs wasn't going to help any. I'm anticipating that that would have happened. If you look at the teams at the bottom of both the Eastern and the Western Conference, where Phil Jackson could have ended up, I mean, you just look at the Eastern Conference alone. The Pistons needed a coach around that time. They were a 30-win team uh, in the in the '97 season. You look at Philly. Uh, you look at Boston. You know, you look at these organizations that honestly you could have envisioned Phil Jackson going to. Uh, and can you imagine Michael following Phil Jackson to one of those organizations? As far as that's concerned, what if Phil Jackson goes to the Clippers? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what if, what if you know what I mean? The, the Kings. I mean, the Portland Trailblazers. But you know, they were. Uh, you know, ten games above 500 that year. I'm just throwing out those different teams that you look at and say, you know, I could have seen Phil going to those teams and Michael would have followed most likely if he would have came back years later and not the, the year that he obviously did because baseball went on strike. The, the biggest what if in all the sports, it's not if Barry Sanders didn't retire early. Uh, you know, it's not any of those things. It's, you know, it's not if, oh, if MJ didn't retire in 93, would they go on to win seven straight championships? No, that's not. The biggest what if in sports is what if baseball didn't go on strike in 94. If that didn't happen, that totally alters the back half of the 90s of NBA basketball. That, to me, is the biggest what-if in the history of sports. I line. agree, man. That's a big what-if. But it's a lot of uh, old trade rumors out there. There was one about Jalen Rose getting traded on draft night to the Bulls for Scotty. No, Scotty Pippen would have went to Seattle. The Bulls would have got back Sean Kemp and Jalen Rose. For who? 
for Scottie Pippen to play with him. With no, no, the MJ was gone. Post, uh, post yeah, MJ. This is, this is yeah. during. That's one. Another one was uh, another one. Another one. Um, Scottie Pippen for Tracy McGrady, like the pick that ended up turning into Tracy McGrady. That was another one. That was T Mac. Someone, Stephen A. confirmed that too. By the way, he confirmed oh, that. Now imagine that. MJ and MJ is back by this point, so that's the situation. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, I mean, MJ is super loyal, but like, if you were able to, like, we was gonna trade Scotty, but if you was able to get Phil to stick around, you get a young T Mac. We still rolling, baby. We about to see what we can make happen. I don't think that they're definitely not gonna go four in a row. They'll probably take two years off from competing for championships until T Mac gets of age, so to speak, and. Hey, look, we back on and popping. <laughs> and this isn't a crack against Michael. Loyal has nothing to do with it. If they traded Pippen and he his he stayed loyal to the Bulls, that's not loyal, not loyal. He was a big Doug Collins fan. You know, he was loyal, he, he was loyal to Phil. Oh yeah, yeah. And he didn't want to play for any yeah. coach. But he was also very loyal to Doug Collins. He loved yeah. Doug, Co- Doug Collins. Doug Collins coached him his last. He year was not happy about it. But like, so he would not have been happy if they traded Pippen. But. I think just like when they got rid of Collins, he would have oh, yeah, eventually yeah. I think, accepted that. I think that. he would have stuck around. He also he had chances. To, I don't know why people don't question this, too. I wish you would see a little bit like MJ had so much power. Looking at the situation that's deteriorating the team is the relationship between Pippen and ownership. It's Michael Jordan. I don't care. Right, Rising, I can never pronounce those guys' names. <laughs> if Michael Jordan goes in their office and says, look, I'm not asking you to make him a top five highest paid player in the league. Take care of him. You want to keep this rolling. You want us to keep take care of him. I wish MJ would have done it. It's nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. I'm not trying to spin it that way. I, I w- because I see LeBron do that. You brought up a good point, though. They share agents, and it's a little bit different now. Yeah. But I would have, for the sake of the team, because it's MJ, and he has the power to do it, I wish, because that was easily the biggest flaw deteriorating that team was that. MJ had the power to go in there and say, come on, even you know that that's wrong. Let's get this taken care of. Shoot. That's all I wish. That's the one thing I wish he would have done. And I, I get it. I get it. I, I understand where people come from with that. Like, well, you, wouldn't you want to take care of your, your number two guy? You're right. You want the number two guy taken care of. But something my brother taught me when I was young, don't count another man's money. Like, bet- that's between them. Like, I can't be your guy to go in there and get you money. Like, so what happens when... Uh, Tony Kukoc wants some money. Hey, Mike, why don't you go talk to ownership and, and tell him to give me some money? Hey, Mike, why don't you go talk to ownership and uh, tell him to do this? Like, I can't do that. Like, you got an agent. Have your agent do his job. But I think, but when you hear Michael talk about Pippen, he doesn't talk about Rodman like that. He doesn't talk about Oakley or any of those other guys. Pippen was different. That's all. P- Pippen was different. Now, to be fair, though, that's not fair of me to say that about him because, look, when Shaq was beefing with the Lakers, Kobe didn't go in there and say, hey, make sure you pay him. I have to take less money. You know, and actually, it had nothing to do with taking less money. You could, As long as you had Pippen and MJ, you could even have less talented other positions. You wouldn't have been as dominant, but you're most likely winning championships as far as that's concerned. All right, it's hour three already. Yes, sir. All right, it's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash here on 1410 ESPN Radio. But good stuff there. I'm excited again. I can't believe episodes... Ni- By the way, I didn't even mean to spend this much time on that, but I appreciate everyone uh, kind of hanging out and hanging along with us. I'm getting a ton of reaction on social media, just chiming in messages on that, uh, you know, about the what-ifs. Yeah, to me, I still think the biggest what-if in all of sports, I mean, we could sit there and do the what-if this, what-if that, you know, what if this player doesn't retire, you know what I mean? With that being said, the biggest what-if in all of sports to me is that 94 
Major League Baseball hold up. If that doesn't happen, MJ doesn't come back. I don't think that the Bulls nuclear, I don't think that, trust me, Pippen and Phil are not having the last dance without MJ at 98. Oh, no. If the baseball, hold, if Major League Baseball doesn't go on strike in 94. So that to me, because not only did it impact baseball, it, you know, what, what does baseball look like that season? What is, th that's kind of where we're at with that. And in my Cleveland Indians were 66 and 47 in, in first place in the American League Central. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll be back in a minute. More of the Justin Kinner Show when we come back. We're going to show live here on ESPN Dayton. Talked a lot of NBA today, so we're going to get into some NBA. Oh, no, just joking, folks. Relax. We're, we'll move on from that. There'll be plenty more of that coming as we head into the final week, the final Sunday coming up of uh, the last dance. Are you going to cry? No. You know I am. What, what's there to cry about? I mean, it, it, I mean, I wonder if they're going to... I mean, so he's going to... After they beat the Jazz, he'll, that would have been the second time he quit. And then I wonder if they're going to go into the Wizards or not, or if that the last dance, you know. Play there, the Wizards, you know. baby. Drop feel, 51 with the Wizards. I feel like, oh, I know it, 37 years old. 38. Uh, 38. I mean, dang. I mean, talk about the geriatric league right there. I mean, good for him, man. Bad uh, night, you know. MJ. Like the Wizards run, man. That was like a, that was like a spinoff of like a really good show. It's like you had friends, <laughs> and then they, remember like Joey, <laughs> Joey, yeah. So like if if you could compare Michael Jordan's career to a sitcom. Slash spinoff like Michael Michael Jordan's career with the Bulls was like the the series Friends, uh, and his his ending you know the ending to his run with the Wizards was like the spinoff Joey like that that's kind of if you had to describe MJ's run I think that's what you got right there was there a spinoff trying to everybody loves Raymond was there a spinoff for that oh, I love everybody loves by the Raymond. way they Very did like good show. so Robert and everybody loves Raymond is like. A, a cop in that show. Mm -hmm. I watched like Law and Order SVU's on the other night, and they have like that character, what, Brad Garrett, I believe is his mm -hmm. name. They have him as a cop in that, but like he's like one of the creepy raper dudes in that in that series and I'm, in that show. I'm like, why did they have to make him a cop? <laughs> now I keep picturing like, oh, you haven't seen Robert Barone in a while, and now he's you know wreaking havoc on the streets of New York in Law and Order. I'm like, that ain't fair. Man, I love everybody loves Raymond. It's a good show. That's one of those shows you could just watch over and over. I don't know what it is. That uh, the George Lopez show too doesn't the get enough respect. Watching. <laughs> the George Lopez show doesn't get enough respect, man. I'm with that. With you know what I'm mad when he was here at the Funny Bone a few years ago. Uh, his, you know who his opening act was? Mm -mm. Who's the the friend of? Uh, oh, I can't believe Breaking Bad, my all-time favorite show. I can't even think of their name. Uh, Gomez, Gomi. That was his opener. Really? Yeah, I didn't know he was a stand-up comedian. So when George Lopez was at the Funny Bone here in Dayton, probably about four or five years ago, uh, you know, they introduced. You know, they played the Breaking Bad music coming out. I'm like, what the hell? And I and at that time, I had not watched the show, so I had no clue who he was. And I'm really angry at myself, too, because, like, I didn't find him that funny. But now that I think back to some of the stuff he was doing, a lot of it he was kind of playing to the character a little bit. I'm mad now because I didn't really appreciate what I was watching when he was here that time. So now I'm just angry because I, I wasn't a Breaking Bad watcher, follower at that time. But, yeah. Ah, uh, Breaking Bad. He was his uh, his opening act. <laughs> Now, you're about to wrap up the, the Better Call Saul. Yes. It was two more episodes. You, it was funny uh, at the end. No, I'm just joking because you haven't seen it. <laughs> um, you're right, though. That show is supposed to be about Saul. I mean, it's Better Call Saul. It's all about Saul. The scenes with him and I really don't care about. 
Mike is like one of my all-time favorite characters. I, I, I love Mike, uh, but man, the Gustavo Fring scenes. If there's a scene with Gustavo Fring, I mean, the guy's a genius. Yes. Little fun fact here, but Keith Byers is like really good friends with that dude. Nice. I didn't know that. Didn't know that until he said, like, yeah, he's, I guess he's, I don't know, they're friends. That's all I know. That's all I got for you. But I'm a big fan of that guy. Yeah, man. That I character think is pretty cool. Me and my brother have this joke about, like, there's two two Americas. When you see him, people call him Gus Fring. But when I see him, I'll call him Bugging Out from Do the Right Thing. So or, I don't know him from anything else. Yeah, see, like... He was, like, in all the Spike Lee movies in the 80s and, like, kind of like he was in uh, School Days, Do the Right Thing, um, Mo Better Blues with Denzel Washington, another Spike Lee movie. And then, like, he kind of, like, disappeared. And then now he's Gus Spring. Now he's a bad guy. Gus Spring on Breaking Bad. Like, it's awesome. Love it. And it's funnier, too, because Better Call Saul is supposed to be, like, all of the before you know, like it was—it's a prequel, obviously. So it's, it's everything that happened before Breaking Bad. But it's so funny when you have Mike looking like death. Uh, I mean, he looks <laughs> older than dirt. I mean, then so when you watch Breaking Bad, you see scenes with Mike. I'm like, dang, I didn't realize. Like, I thought he looked old in Breaking Bad, and I'm like, no, he's actually a youngin in Breaking yeah. Bad because he looks really old and bad in a lot of those scenes in Better Call Saul. But Gustavo is also very old looking in the before too. So yeah, I yeah. thought that's kind of funny how all of that worked. You know what? Speaking of Better Call Saul, and speaking of Everybody Loves Raymond, great sports talk. By the way, here, uh, everybody loves Raymond was on the other day, and they're doing some. There's a scene that they're trying to pitch the family on something or whatever, and the guy doing the pitching is Better Call Saul, the character that plays Better Call Saul. So he's in Everybody Loves Raymond too. In fact, he's in he's a lot a of stuff. He's a comedian as well. Well, before that, like he was, like he's in uh, that '70s show. I, I know that there's a couple episodes of that '70s show that he he's in. Uh, there's so many shows that he makes these little cameo appearances in. So I found that kind of fun. character actor. I believe that's what those people are. So talking. all we need to do is find out what his favorite sports team is, and then we can have that <laughs> as like a you know it would tie into the sports conversation as far as that's concerned. Uh, you guys want to talk sports? We'll talk sports. We're gonna step away for a few moments. Uh, Eleven Warriors put out uh, on Twitter earlier today, and I thought it was fantastic. And I. I don't have it in front of me, but it was in essence, which championship for the Buckeyes was the most appealing, was was the most rewarding, which championship was the most impressive, the 2002 championship beating Miami or the, 24, the, 2020, the 2014 championship when they beat Speaking Oregon in the national title game, so I'm curious, 457-9464. Which of those championships like, do you feel like more pride in? Was it the 2014 championship, the inaugural college football playoff, uh, you know, playing with a third-string quarterback? Probably, you know, if the Big 12 had a Big 12 championship game, Ohio State's probably not even in the college football playoff that year. I mean, there's so many things. And then you have the fact that they were a big-time underdog against Miami in 2002, and you had to get that huge one. Both of them are so special, but I'm curious. If you could only hang your hat on one, which one are you more proud of, the 2002 or the 2014? We'll get to all of that when we come back. ESPN date, 1410, Wing AM. Welcome back, Justin Kinner, Kevin Nash with you. Here's the Justin Kinner Show with Kevin Nash on ESPN 1410 Wing AM. 1410Wing Live. Make sure you check it out at wingam.com. Subscribe and download to the Justin Kinner Show podcast in your Apple iTunes Store, Google Play Store. The show goes up the second the show is done, so make sure you go and check that out. Uh, subscribe, download it, or you can actually... You already... You, you destroyed my Kobe Bryant bobblehead. Don't blame me for poor craftsmanship. 
Now you, but seriously, like the heads off and everything, man. You, that's all right. But you did get it to stand back up. Okay, ADD, focus, Justin, focus, Justin. Okay, here we go. Both underdogs as far as situations in both. Actually, that's not v true. They were the favorite to be Oregon. I guess, but when you, I guess the difference, obviously, in both situations, you have the college football playoff um, in 2014, that they were the underdog heading into the college football playoff. No one expected Ohio four State, seat. you know, a, you know, a four seed, you know, just barely got in, and I honestly think that Ohio State, who ended up winning it all, Ohio State was basically used as a pawn in the message sent to the Big 12 to get a Big 12 championship game. You know, like to me, I think that's what it really came down to. They were, I'm not, I hate to use the word lucky to be in because they deserved it. I mean, they won all their games. They were able to overcome not just their second string quarterback, but a third string quarterback and putting a whooping on Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, uh, coming from behind the way they did to beat Alabama, and then beating Oregon in a championship game that everyone loved, but everyone was still riding high off the fact that they beat Nick Saban in Alabama in the semifinal in the first of the two college football playoff games that they played in. But 2002 underdogs as well. You know, you had Miami coming in. No one, no one gave Ohio State a, ch a chance. I mean, it was all about Miami. It was all about that, that firepower. It was all about that NFL talent on that roster. And to be fair, rightfully so. Uh, and that's what, I mean, that's what made that win so special. It made 2014 so special because you had, you know, the third-string quarterback. I'm going to let you start. Who, which championship was more impressive, 2002 or 2014? Hands down, the Fiesta Bowl versus the U. Hands down. Hands down? Hands down. Okay. The amount of close victories the Buckeyes had that season, the amount of talent that comes from not only the Buckeyes roster that year, but the team that they beat, probably one of the best college football teams you're ever going to see with the Miami Hurricanes. On both sides of the ball, coaching I mean, everything. You got Sean Taylor. You got Kellen Winslow the second. You got... Uh, Clinton Portis. No, not Clinton Portis, but uh, McGahee. McGahee. You got Andre Johnson. He looked like that bobblehead by the time <laughs> the game was done, though. I mean, it was a physical game. It was it was probably one of the best college football games I've ever seen and locked in the whole game. Now, not to take anything away from what Ohio State did when they beat Alabama, came back and beat Alabama, then beat Oregon to capture the other championship. I just have more memories from the other championship. Maybe that's because of style of play. Trust the ball. <laughs> so, so many close games. But I'm going to roll with that championship in uh, 03 in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh I want to say 2002, the Fiesta Bowl against Miami, because uh, you're right, the team that they beat. And Maurice Claret, I remember he was, you know, when I was a kid growing up, that was like the first Ohio State player that I gravitated towards. That, like, I remember being like, you know what I mean? Like, you watch as a kid growing up, like, you know, you, but that was the first Ohio State team that I had a favorite player. That I mean, Maurice Claret, I had to, I was, you know, when he, I told you the story before, when he went to the NFL, you know, went to Denver. I was hoping he was going to be the next Terrell Davis. I was hoping he was going to, you know, I, I loved the fact that he went to Denver. Couldn't wait. I was a huge uh, fan of his. But with that being said, as special as that was, you know, them being the underdog and, and winning it the way that they did, 2014 just seems more special to me because when Urban Meyer came in, I mean, keep in mind, like, not a lot of programs who go through what Ohio State did with the exit of Jim Trestle, with everything that they went through with that. A lot of, cr a lot of programs crumble, and they don't 
resurrect for a while. Mm-hmm. They don't come back for a while. Um, and you brought in Urban Meyer, and I thought that that was about it. I mean, Ohio State was very lucky to be able to patch that hole, to be able to make that transition from going from Jim Trestle to having Luke Fickle be a part of that down year. Uh, you know, So I think that that's why I'm like, you know, I'm looking at 2014, and, and I'm sitting here saying, man, I, with everything that happened in the years leading up to it, 2014 yeah. has to be it, because when Urban Meyer came in, that's what you expected from Urban Meyer. That's what, you know, Urban Meyer was brought to Columbus to do that. And and I think that that's what made that year so special is because, man, you just saw it all finally come together against all the odds. Uh, it started with losing your quarterback in Braxton to start the season. You know, JT, you know, starting for the first time ever, you know, do, doing it in dominant fashion, setting all the freshmen, not just Buckeye records, but the Big Ten freshman records. I mean, just breaking record after record, winning game after game. Uh, and then you lose JT. And then it comes in Cardell Jones. Cardell Jones comes in. And uh, and at that point, I didn't give him a shot. I'm like, man, you know, at the Big Ten, I was I, I was depressed watching the Big Ten championship game. Even as I'm watching them kick his ass, game. I was like, you know, this just this man, this sucks. I, I don't think that they're they're not gonna. I didn't think that they were gonna give him the benefit of the doubt with Cardale because. I, it's like a, it's like in basketball. Like sometimes you just get hot from behind three, and you're like, oh, this team looks really good, but we know that that's probably not who they are. I, you hadn't seen enough of Cardale to know who they really were. Then the committee gave him the edge. Then you got Alabama. And Nick's college football is Alabama. It is Nick Saban. Well, I don't care what Buckeye fans think. That's what when you think college football, that's who you think of. And to be down against them so early, and then to come back the way you did, to beat them, to get to the championship game, to beat Mariota, to beat he was the Heisman winner too mm-hmm. that year. To be, I think that was more impressive. If you're talking about the individual championship game, I, Miami, yes. But I think what makes the 14 one so special is because that was just like, oh man, we survived. The trestle leaving. We survived the Terrell Pryor tattoo gate. We survived that. We get Urban Meyer, which was you were lucky to get in the first place. And then you get to the very first college football playoff after losing your starting quarterback to start the year, and then you have a third-string quarterback, and then you go in and beat Alabama, a storied program that is the face of college football during that time. I, I just felt that that year was so special, uh, and to this day, I still feel like that is one of the most talked-about Buckeye Championship games, probably because it's the most recent, but I, I feel like nothing trumps that. I love the 2002 championship game, don't get me wrong, but I just think from a storyline perspective, 2014, you will always remember that team. I think another 10, 20 years, not that you'll forget the Buckeyes 2002 championship game, but there were so many dominant pieces on that roster and the storyline of it all. It was the first college football playoff. They set the tone. I I loved everything about it. To me, 2014 is the most memorable championship game between the two when you talk about Buckeyes over Miami in twenty in two thousand two and Buckeyes over uh Oregon in two thousand fourteen. But four five seven nine four six four the last two championships for the Buckeyes in two thousand two and twenty fourteen, which one is more memorable in your opinion? You said 2002, I went with 2014, not just to argue with one another. <laughs> uh, but let's go to the phones. We got Doug. Doug, how are you? Thanks for holding. Hey, um, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, being, a, um, being a graduate of Ohio State, mm-hmm. it, it, for me, it was 2014 to me was, hello, college football world. We are Ohio State University. We can, we can win playing the SEC type of football. For, but 2002 was, for me, the ultimate. Oh, my God. That was the, oh, God. The <laughs> pardon <laughs> from winning that. I remember going to Dick's after they won the title, after they won the game and buying the T-shirt. <laughs> you know, national championships. 
<laughs> no, but you see, like, both work. are so unique and special, and you're right. It's like, but yeah. is the 2002 one more special because of your time there? Yes, but because, you know, you really weren't supposed to. I mean, it was all about Miami. But the one yeah. in 2014, you're right, though. It kind of said, hey, we're officially here. We're not just Ohio State out of the Big Ten that, you know, we, we win a lot of games. You they basically prove that they are part of the Alabama run. They are part of the yes. SEC dominance, and they could beat anybody out there. Yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It was, you know, you, you had a lot of people saying there's no way Midwest teams can play. They're too fast, you know. Football, <laughs> you know. Get up and down the field, and, and they proved it. But for, for Ohio State 2002 to beat what many people say was the best roster ever constructed in college football history, with my with the U, for me that 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 trumps it. Yeah, I, I and, and that's fair. I and by the way, there's not a wrong answer in this because it's all about preference. And I feel bad saying that the 2002 one's not my favorite because I still that was my one of my favorite memories as a kid growing up watching college football. Uh, both were special, no doubt. I appreciate the call, Doug. Thank you. Uh, oh, you cut. You, you my, my bad, Doug. My bad. Sorry about that, Doug. <laughs> no, but like he's right though. I didn't, you know, with all the points I made about that 2014 one. There was so much more meaning to that game because it did. It put college football on notice. Not that Ohio State was ever disrespected, but they needed to do a lot of damage control after the Trestle thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, Urban Meyer coming in was the start to repairing that image. Don't get me wrong. Actually, I don't know if it repaired the image. If anything, it... A lot of people were questioning when they brought Urban Meyer in, man, is that smart of Ohio State? I mean, look at the reason that you lost Jim Trestle and you're going to bring in a guy that that was rent at, that left Florida... For in, for situations that were a lot worse than what Trestle was run out of Columbus for, mm -hmm. so I you know I'm not saying that he came in and cleared up the the perception of the program right away, but man, he did put them right back on the map, and not just as the class of the Big Ten, but I mean the class of them all. I mean, they, there was no we no longer looked at the SEC and said, man, can we can we compete with them? There was not one conference that intimidated Buckeye or the Buckeye fans at this point. So to me, that 2014 team really turned it around. It changed our expectations moving forward. It's changed the expectations to me to where I'm like, man, if you're not in the playoff, it's a failure of a season. That's how great of a program Ohio State has at this point, and I think it's because of that 2014 season. Buckeyes, baby. I mean, I look back at that 2 3 season for the Buckeyes. I just remember the first game versus Texas Tech. And a good friend of mine, Kendall, he's from Youngstown. And he just kept talking about Little Reese, a beast. Little Reese, a beast. And I'm like, a freshman at running back starting? Get out of here. Maurice Claret was a beast. First game out the box. Boom. Boom. So then you fast forward throughout the season. You go to the... The Holy Buckeye play. Fourth and one. Play action. Take a shot to Mike Jenkins over the top to beat Purdue. Epic game. Great game. Close game. Just like half the season was close games. But <laughs> then you uh, you fight one out with Illinois in overtime. The option play with Craig Krenzel pitching it to Maurice Hall for the game winner. Then you got the interception by Dayton's own Will Allen versus that team up north to clinch the championship in the Big Ten to go to the Fiesta Bowl to play it for the national championship. And, I mean, the national championship game versus to you, I mean, there's so many epic plays in there. You got Maurice Claret stripping the great Sean Taylor of the football after an interception. You got the U with Roscoe Parrish. We have the game in the bag, but Roscoe Parrish takes a punt return like, 45 yards to set them up for a tie-in field goal to push it to overtime. You got Will Allen again blowing Willis McGahee's knee out. 
I'm glad Willis McGahee was still able to go to the NFL and make a lot of money, but I was also glad he wasn't in that game anymore because, believe it or not, a different finish. Yeah, field they position. Were, they they were on a roll. They they started clicking, but he wasn't in there no more. Then you got the ultimate play, the the play in the end zone. You throw a jump ball basically to Chris Gamble. Don't know why. If I, I don't think I would have did that. I would have thrown it to Mike Jenkins. But anyway, you throw it to Chris Gamble, a late flag. They're celebrating. Helmets go up in the air. They start shooting off fireworks. <laughs> Their fans are rushing. They're excited. Flag on the play. Replay it. We run it. We score. And then we stop them from scoring. We win the national championship from the longevity, basically, I've never seen Ohio State win a championship. So that was my first time seeing us win a championship. And that's never going to be replaced. Now, the game versus Bama, and then we cap it off by handling business like adults, like professionals versus Oregon, because that would have been the worst if they would have beat Alabama and then lose to Oregon. That would would have been hurt. That would have hurt bad. I I mean, I agree. But anytime you lose a championship game, yes, it would hurt. But... When you think about that championship game, it's amazing how many, and no one forgets who they beat in it. But no one remembers, like we don't talk about, oh man, you remember that year they won the championship in 2014? (laughs) The year they beat Bama? (laughs) That's what people remember about 2014. So I know what you're saying, but let's say they would have lost to Oregon in the national championship game. I still think that after uh-uh. about a month of Buckeye fans feeling horrible about the loss, they'd still be pumping their no chest. But we beat Bama. Oh, I absolutely no, think so. I, I, you know, Buckeye I, fans are obsessed with hating I, I the hope, SEC. I hope it would not be that way. It, like like they said in the Jordan documentary, and like they said when Golden State broke their record to be 73-9, and nine, it don't mean a thing if you don't get the ring. That's what it's about, getting the ring. Yeah, but see, pro sports at college is completely different because what do college fans do? What happened the last time we played? Although the rosters aren't even completely even close <laughs> to being the same. Like, if Alabama and Ohio State square off 10 years from now in 2030, what are Buckeye fans going to be saying when, to Alabama fans? Oh, Alabama fans, stop, your, stop running your run. What happened the last time the Buckeyes played Alabama? That doesn't happen in the NBA. True. You know, Lakers fans, when they play Boston, oh, remember what happened when Kobe and, and, and the Lakers beat you guys in the fight? That doesn't happen. Now, it's mainly because in pro sports you most likely play each other all the time. That's what it comes down to. But, no, it, that's what makes college so unique is that you'll go a decade, two decades. It could be, you know, 50 years before Alabama Ohio State play again. You never know. But I promise you, if it's 50 years from now, me and you will be what? We'll be 80, 90, whatever yeah. years old. And we're going to say, well, remember what happened the last time? Ohio State play Alabama. And that, Cardinal that, Jones, yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right, more of the Justin Kinder Show next. Dot com. Did Tom Brady do something that other quarterbacks should follow? Take less. Next on the Will Kane Show. Spending a lot of time at home? Did you know you can listen to the Will Kane Show and all of ESPN Radio on your smart speaker? Just say, play ESPN Radio. Now playing ESPN Radio. We're from Will Kane. Back to the Justin Kidder Show. Right here on ESPN Dayton. 1410 Wing AM. Alright, welcome back. Justin Kidder, Kevin Nash with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. So, uh, Mark Emmert, NCAA President over the weekend. Uh, basically said that, look, if school, if, if students are not on campus for any particular, and by the way, everyone is independent. All conferences are acting independent. That was also made clear today as well. I think that's a coward move on the NCAA's part. I'm sorry. Uh, I love, I mean, say what you want about the Major League, about MLB right now, the negotiation process between the two. Major League Baseball, um, 
could easily just say, you know what, we're done for the year. Like we're gonna we're gonna lose money no matter what. So let's just get out of here. And they're choosing to continue on with the conversation and the negotiations of everything, regardless of what side you're on. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow's show. Uh, but I think it's cowardly of the NCAA to basically just tag in and say, uh, we good here? All right, cool. If you have any problems, uh, don't call me. Uh, just redirect all your issues to your, uh, you know, your, your, basically your conference you know, president, whatever. I think that's cowardly. It is what it is. I, I, honestly, the NCAA is a joke as far as that's concerned. Second issue, over the weekend said if, if students are not on campus, if they're, even if it's online only, Okay, if, if they're t technically school could be in session, but if students are not allowed on campus, even if they're in session taking online classes, that there will be no athletics. So everyone was like, oh, man, that's that's a concern. That's a concern. And we're all paying attention to our individual team. Well, keep in mind, this just came out. The 23 school, and this came out yesterday, I should say, or you know, late last night. The 23 school California State University system will primarily remain in virtual learning model this fall as the county continues to deal with the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, that's that goodbye Pac-12. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Pac-12 didn't have a chance of competing in the playoff anyway, but, I mean, goodbye Pac-12 football. Um, so I saw a lot of panic last night in the eyes in the eyes of most, in the tweets of most, and I'm like, look, I don't want to be, you know, rude here, but, I mean, it sucks, but it doesn't. Selfishly, it doesn't impact me. It doesn't impact Ohio State. It doesn't impact the Big Ten. It impacts maybe the Oregon matchup, but I wasn't confident that that was happening to begin with. Um, you're hearing reports today that a lot of schools are reaching out about home and homes, for the conferences that, like, these conferences already have an idea. We may not know. We might know, like, Rutgers and some others probably. There are teams in every conference right now that are pretty well aware that they're probably not going to be playing in 2020, that they're not going to be able to. So behind closed doors, there is already meetings with Big Ten teams, SEC teams, talking about doing home-and-homes with one another. You could see Ohio State and Wisconsin twice. I don't know. I'm throwing out examples. I mean, I don't know. There's been nothing like that to come out. There was only a report earlier today that some teams are already working on a backup plan, negotiating home-and-homes within the conference. No non-conference games. So, you know, that, that's kind of where I'm at with this. It sucks for the, the Pac-12. I thought it was very premature to do this. I have no issue with being cautious and with, you know, being aggressive. If you feel like your state, your, you know, your county, your state or whatever is not fit to, to have these events, that's fine. Why do that now in May? Why, why announce that in May? So many things can change between now and then. I hate to be that guy because I can't stand that guy. But I agree with them on that. Why are you making an official decision in May on something for August? That's, you know, keep put you know, say, well, we will revisit this in a month. We'll revisit the Why make that decision now? Uh, I feel like some, there's some governors out there that are anti-sports to begin with yeah. and that this is their way of kind of putting the middle finger up to some. I'm not accusing that this situation of that, but it is very strange. It's almost like, okay, shut up, sports people. We're putting an end to this now. I don't know if that's the case, but that's kind of the vibe I'm getting as far as I'm concerned. But you also got to think about this. Uh, yeah, the conferences, they work independently. Mm -hmm. They can do what they want to do. But the NCAA, they run the college football playoff. They run March Madness. So you can have your little regular season. You can play your conference games all you want. That's cool. But you won't have a champion. So, I mean, yeah. Well, now the MAC has eliminated all yeah. conference championships. I mean, I wouldn't hear that from the Horizon League, you know, the A-10. Like, how that can is that's we're transitioning to basketball over here. But the MAC came out. There will be no MAC championship, uh, you know. I, I anticipate that to stem into the others too. Like there would, there might not be a Big Ten championship game for football. No SEC championship game. It could just be 
You know, kind of like the was it the Big Twelve that just does the wallet stuff? And but hey, but game, but the difference between the Big Twelve and the other conferences, it's only ten teams, so everybody plays everybody. So technically, you get a champion because everybody, if you got a better record, you beat everybody, mm -hmm. or you lost to whomever. So technically, they in a good spot. They they'll name their champion, but I mean, who? How you gonna say it's uh, say Ohio State is undefeated? And Wisconsin is undefeated on their side of the Big Ten. Well, yeah, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be East versus West. <laughs> I just, think I think we're throwing that out the window. I, I honestly leaders do. and legends. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea how it's going to work out, but man, it's it's just one of those where I mean, this is going to be interesting as far as as the development of that is concerned. But yeah, that, I mean, when I read that and saw that last night, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, but I mean, that impacts a lot of universities over there. That impacts the the Pac-12 tremendously. Uh, I mean, it that's impacts. why Alabama yesterday, Alabama cut the contract with USC right away, and then Buckeye fans, oh, well, man, if Alabama can't play USC and Ohio State can't play Oregon. Don't worry, folks. Alabama jumped in bed with TCU like that. So, which that's weird too. Why jump in bed with another out of conference team? Like I just, who knows? Who knows? The I SEC mean, is running on their own rules right now. That's you why. think about what's going on in the Pac-12, and you think about when USC is good. Think about who's on those sidelines when USC is good. You got Snoop. You got. Will Ferrell, you got like celebs, top-notch celebs on there. So, if you want to talk about money, you want to you want to hope that USC is good. You want to hope that you have a college football season, but that those the other side of it when you have people that are concerned about economics versus people that's concerned about health. Like there's there's no meeting in the middle. People got we got to figure out a way to meet in the middle. Before we go all the way one side yep. or the other. All right, it's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash here on 1410 ESPN Radio. We'll step away for a few moments. We'll close it out when we come back.